The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome ladies and gentlemen To a special Crossover episode Of keeping it strong style In One Nation Radio Jeremy Dobbin here with the young boy, Josh Smith, Rich Latta, and James Boyd. We are here to review Forbidden Door. We, we've opened the, the, the podcast, Forbidden Door. You know, we don't do this too often anymore. Keeping a strong style, One Nation Radio, together again. We, we, we got to keep the gimmick strong, you know, for the end of the year, you know, yeah. to convince you guys to part with your hard-earned yen uh, and give it to us. <laughs> I was gonna say no. Nah, normally, for you know, a link up this mag or uh, magnanimous, this momentous, like you gotta you gotta pay for this. We normally put this shit on pay per view. Yeah, this just this just proves how much we love y'all. Giving y'all a little freebie. Yeah, you know. like I think it's almost at this point, like we it's once a year that you get it for free. It's like uh, you know, it's some New Japan and a in a cross motion match with something that we cover, like like Stardom or New or AEW. So yeah, like. Who knows? Like, you know, I guess when we do, they do the, you know, the WWE uh, X New Japan Pro Wrestling. I guess I, I don't know what we do then. I don't know. Like, I guess we bring uh, <laughs> the Clash show out of retirement for that one. I don't know. I don't know. The first thing I'd like to say is if you're Googling Forbidden Door, just be very careful. Um, not. Okay. So let, let, let's talk. Not about- everything that comes up is wrestling related. <laughs> Just throw that out there. You sat on that for two years. You built that one you, up. You sat or not two years? You sat on this for like a year and change, like fourteen months. <laughs> it makes Incredible. it funnier. James's reaction immediately in real time. <laughs> oh boy. All right, let's uh, talk about <laughs> Forbidden Door. We got lots of matches. We got a ton of questions. Up, we might not get to all the questions, but we're going to try our best here to break down the card, answer the questions, and give our thoughts on the show. Uh, first thing I think we should uh, talk about is just the, the live gate numbers. So we got a report here from uh, Uncle Dave in uh, Sports Illustrated today saying the live gate was 1.2 million U.S., which is a mark that no non-WWE pro wrestling show has ever held in North America, uh, which would be 1.6 million Canadian. So huge gate for uh, Forbidden Door 2. Man, it's almost like we told people that um, there was money in in serving the wrestling audience. And once again, you know, that belief pays off. And um, 
I think it was really cool. You know, the Forbidden Door series itself is uh, for fans like us. And, you know, for so long, I would watch different big shows like a WrestleMania, for example. And I would hear people try to justify it like, hey, these shows aren't for you. But this is the opposite. Like, this is like, yeah, this is for us. And it feels good. Yeah. Awesome show. For for me, uh, just to just to take off what Rich said, like not bad for a t shirt company, <laughs> right? <laughs> not um, in a, in a, you know in an indie, you know. Uh, shout yeah. out to Raj, who shot who also had a, a, another great tweet that I'm surprised if he has le- hasn't deleted or not talking about Dave Meltzer, like should ding the uh, Osprey and um, Omega match because of how dangerous it was, and I was like. So you've never seen Meltzer ding matches for being too dangerous for. You're just going at him for whatever reason. Okay, anyway. Yeah, man. Um, super fun show. And sh- shows you, like, you do this annually. They will never run out of matches and because there's so many talented people. It will always be a great show at this point. It's, you know, it, it's, a, it's about the most bankable thing you have in wrestling right now. It's, too, it's early. It's two for two. But given the talent and kind of like even at the lower rankings, if you put in bigger spots if you need be, this thing, it could could always be great. A decade from now, this thing could and should always be great. Yeah, I, I think the success of the show, the the money that was brought in, it kind of uh, goes against some of the bad faith arguments that I've seen out there. People talking about the live attendance numbers being, you know, lower than like let's say what WWE's done in the same building over the you know past decade. But ultimately, that's the third largest gate in Canadian wrestling history. So. Uh, you know, it was extremely profitable for them. There's really no way to spin it other than the fact that AEW is having a lot of success. Um, the show was very, very profitable. And, you know, a lot of people complained about the build last year and then even to some extent this year. And while I myself have been somewhat down on some of the booking in AEW, this just kind of shows you where simple storytelling um can really pay off you book dream matches you give a little bit of color to it a little bit of time on tv some vignettes some uh promotional material and if it's something that people want to watch they'll they'll turn up they'll they'll watch it they'll pay for it we all paid for it and uh i'm i think we're all glad for it yeah they're talking about it was like uh i think the the number that's getting tossed around is like 150k uh, as far as the buys on pay-per-view as well um which you know, you, you can only ask for that, especially like, you know, year over year increase, uh, increase from the last pay-per-view that AEW did and, you know, New Japan shares in that. So mm-hmm. um, that's, I think that's really cool for, for both companies. Do yeah. they? We don't even know what they share. Well, that. you would think. <laughs> well, they were selling it on NJPWWorld.com for the Japanese audience. So uh, you would think there were some, some buys there. But yeah, overall, just a, a great success for, for both companies. For, for AEW, and they're on start for a hot summer. Um, we have some questions here from MJSPR. I want to get to these before we get into the, the, the match uh, card. New Japan got paid an exposure. <laughs> a hot dog and a handshake. <laughs> uh, but MJSPR, he was there live at the show, the Discord daddy. Um, he has two questions for us. He says, how did the crowd translate to the broadcast the energy was insane, and he says, overall, what were your thoughts on the card design? Seemed to flow really well, especially early on. 
so you might not like believe this in, in, or uh you may not believe this um but like apparently like only in las vegas do they not know how to mic crowds in AEW. it's the only place but the crowd was great it was fantastic i you know i had issues with the um sequencing of the card once you see the match that I thought, you know, probably should have made event, it ended up going on uh, third from the top, and how like the crowd had, you know, uh, came down after it, and how it affected the the two matches after. So yeah, um, I, I agree. It was a weird, it was a kind of a we- weird thing, and it was off, you know, the, the buffer match design, which you know, I, I, I felt like it hurt the end, the last hour of the card. But um, up until that point, man, it was just a fun show that just, just. It, it breezed by. It really did. Went by fast. Um, as James mentioned, I think the uh, that buffer match it sucks, and that is a killer. I think uh, in some cases, but they were able to get through it. Um, I'm never really a fan of putting world title matches on first. I, I just think they could have did something else. But um, you know, as far as like the crowd, like you know, loved it. Like Toronto went hard pretty much all weekend until they had nothing left. So. I feel like I'm, I might be like in the weird minority here. I don't think the crowd was bad by any means, but maybe, I don't know. I don't know if I have bad hearing or what it is, but like, I didn't feel like that this was the most energetic crowd. I thought it was like an okay crowd in terms of reaction. Um, except for like when the big star showed up, they, they really turned up big for like different guys, you know, Naito, Hiromu, MJF, you know, different people throughout the night, but they didn't, to me, have that same sustained energy that like Chicago had last year. You know, yeah. that was that was my feeling on it. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I would say that last year Chicago crowd overall might have been better, but I still think that this uh, crowd here had great energy throughout the night and you know brought some energy to the show. I agree with you guys. I wasn't a big fan of the the buffer style uh, laying the card out here. You know, I like the the Wrestle Kingdom New Japan style. Just stack the match. You start from, you know, your your hot opener. That's going to be like your three-and-a-half, four-star match. And you just build and build and build and build until it's like the last three matches. And you're like, damn, we're about to get like three, four-and-a-half, five-star matches to close the show. I mean, in my opinion, honestly, I don't have a problem with them doing a quote-unquote buffer match. Because I do think like a North American audience reacts slightly differently to the way that like a traditional Japanese audience might respond to having two big matches back to back in theory, that match with the Suzuki gods and sting and all them should have been the perfect buffer match. If they had been a little less ambitious and didn't have some of the botches and the sloppiness, if they had just gone out there and played the hits, I feel like the crowd would have gotten with it, but because there were so many, they were they they were a little too cute, a little too busy, and there were some botches, and and the the match fell apart. They weren't able to actually get back into it, and then you know there were some other issues with the main event. But in theory, I think it could have worked. It just unfortunately didn't on this night. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's just for me. Um, I don't I don't disagree with you in the fa- like the idea of in a vacuum, but like I think just for me like. I feel like I've seen it so many times watching WWE or even watch some of these AEW cards where it's like, especially like with, you know, a young bucks or Kenny Omega mash is like, doesn't go on at the end. And it's like, we got to put it, you know, in the middle of the show. And it's like, bro, it's a laser light show. 
If someone has to come after that, it's like, in a match that's not, not as spectacular or, or not as like emotionally driven or not as um, uh, gripping with like, you know, the fact that you're the most over people in the company, uh, you know, at times. And it's like, oh, you kind of sent them out there to be an iteration break. And it's like, sometimes people struggle with it. And it feels like a lot of time, people, more people struggle with it than succeed and, and, you know, and able to get the crowd to come back around after a certain amount of time. So that's kind of my thing on it. But, you know, you know, there's always ways to do something uh, better. But I don't, I don't feel like they've they mostly have like done it, done it well enough to get away with it after all this time now. Yeah. I mean, Kenny and Osprey followed basically a probably close to or near five star match. and They didn't have any trouble getting the crowd <laughs> to pick up. For their match. Yeah, but they also but my point is like, yes, yes, that's true. But it's also like it's the bigger match. Oh no, I agree with you. I, and what like, I, what I'm it happened saying to be like maybe you know trouble. maybe the, the second best match of the year so far that I've seen anyway. So, yeah, I, yeah. I think the whole deal with like the the car design and, and why it was laid out, and I, I didn't kind of figure it out until the night of essentially, and um, you know because AEW was winning the main event, Danielson was going to win, and Kenny was losing, so that's why they didn't do the, uh, and you know just looking at how this shit is all set up, they weren't going to send um you know, Kenny out there to lose the main event for AEW, quote unquote. So um, I don't know. I think they should have like gotten over that personally and, right. you know, and, and, and stop the disrespect like uh, to Osprey and Omega because uh, I, I had to sit here. I had to, I had to see people beat the drum uh, of why this, this match that has already proven it was a match of the year should not go in la- on last uh, for, for Danielson and Okada, great wrestlers and all that. Um, but this is Canada. Uh, this is Kenny Omega in a big match. This is Will Ospreay in a big match. And I'm sorry. How many times has Kenny Omega gone on before Okada made it tough for him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about this. And I was waiting. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's a really good point. I would also say, like, in those points that you're making, like, we're in these weird situations. Like, I think probably the only one I'm like, oh, okay, is like Naito at Russell Kingdom uh, the year that he won, 2018, uh, uh, 20, or yeah, whatever, yeah. 21, whichever the year that was. 2020, the, the first. Or sorry, 18, and, actually 18, it was 18. 2018, then yeah, earlier this year. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. yeah, but I mean, like, the, the other two that I'm I mean, thinking I'm, of, like, is, it's <laughs> Jay White is uh, Okada's opponent, and the other one also is, um, uh, what was the other one? Because it's happened three times. At least. I, I think it was. Uh, it's it's happened it three was, times. It was twice this oh. year, and then then the yeah, 2018. Yeah, yeah. So match. like, it's Danielson as he breaks his arm in the middle of the match, ten minutes into the match, and then it's also um, Jay White one of the times. It's like in Omega's Ospre- opponent is Osprey. It's like, yeah, that that's a, that's a walk in L. I tell you, Danielson's gonna break an arm. What do you think's gonna happen? <laughs> Look, I tell you, this, Jay this, White. What do you think's gonna happen? The two best bookers of the last decade both got burnt by the same thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the next time they do this, fix the issue. Yeah, and yeah. It, and it's also just like it's common sense. And think about this, right? Danielson, Okada, first match, no belt on the line. Osprey, Omega, in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, for the IWGP US title match in a rematch of the best match of the year. Long storyline. With, with, um, with the callous stuff involved, you're walking. Have wrestled you're each other before, before recently. In this situation. 
these guys already know how long, like the agreements have already been made. It was like, you know, like they was going to go out there and whoop each other's ass. Like, and, and we saw evidence of that in January. We mentioned it on, on one nation radio, like, you know, or I mentioned it, it was like, this is why I thought this would be the better match. I was like, they've wrestled each other before recently. There's no figuring out to be done. Like they could just walk in there and ball, but yeah, you know, I, I had anyone who got double juice too. Yeah. Yeah. I had genuine concern <laughs> you know when, um, when, you know, Don Callis was sort of inserted into this uh, program. My concern was like, oh, the reason they're not going on last because they're going to do some sort of fuck finish and they don't want to, you know, send the fans home unhappy. Right. I didn't necessarily think of it being an AW New Japan thing. I just thought like that makes more sense. It's going to be on the undercard because it's going to be somewhat dissatisfying, which ultimately it wasn't. And I, I literally did not think that there was any way whatsoever <laughs> that Okada was doing a job for Brian, for Daniel, for Brian Danielson um, at Forbidden Door. I just did not think that that was a realistic possibility whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And uh, once, once it all popped off, and you kind of, I was talking to you earlier today, Rich. And you, you mentioned that you're like, yeah, it, they want their guy to go over last in the main event. And I'm like. Yeah, I guess yep. we probably should have figured that that was a very realistic possibility. I just couldn't imagine that New Japan agreed to it, but ultimately it looks like, I'm guessing, rematch. we're going to get a rematch, probably going to be in January 4th in the Tokyo Dome, and it's probably going to be Okada you know, picking up the win over Danielson there, and which right. means Okada's probably not winning the G1 this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. A lot like, of interesting stuff for Naito. For... Naito has to be like... Is he? I, I imagine he's a favorite because last year we thought, kind of thought this was like his last chance. He played. He wrestled great. Um, Some of the time, you see. I, you know, do you think <laughs> if you're going, if you are going to put Sonata, you know, as the champion in the dome, the only person you can put him in there with to draw the house is Naito. This seems yeah. like that's where the story's going. I kind of yeah. I mentioned that on uh, keeping a strong side a couple weeks ago. I was kind of seeing the tea leaves of yeah, Sonata, yep. Naito, Tokyo Dome main event. You know. Sonata's yep. kind of been slowly working through the LIJ guys, and you can tell his whole yep. big story between Naito and Sonata, and you can you can build it up really well. Have Naito, right. you know, get that G one win, um, right? And and like it goes back even further. You can be like, hey, who did who did Sonata beat in the in the uh, New Japan Cup? Mm-hmm. Naito, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Like I've been thinking about this for like a, about a month or so. It's like I'm not so sure. That like you need to get the belt off of Sonata so quickly, given that like, you know these big shows he has drawn he's drawn well on top. Ain't like his you know oh my god we gotta get off him. So it's like I don't necessarily see somebody's gonna just take it off him at you know destruction or whatever else. Yeah. So um, if he gets to the dome, get, may as well put it on Naito because if you if you give Naito the idea that like he can win the G one and get to the dome, he's gonna ball. <laughs> I saw it last year. <laughs> screw that man. <laughs> Say again, Rich. I said he will turn the clock back. <laughs> yeah, to, bro. To, to, I remember seeing Naito turn forty years old like last week or some shit. About <laughs> <laughs> to get another one. <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, let's uh, start talking about the card here. Uh, we can yeah. briefly go through the uh, zero hour pre-show matches. I'll just run through the results. Maybe we can kind of give uh, overall thoughts about the pre-show. Uh, so opened up, we had the Mogul Embassy of Bishop Khan, Brian Cage, Swerve Strickland, and Toa Leone, or Leona with uh, Prince Nana defeating the Chaos team of Chuck Taylor, Rocky Romero, and Trent Beretta with El Desperado. 
Then we had a Owen Hart Foundation Women's Tournament quarterfinal match with Athena defeating Billy Starks. Then we had El Fantasmo defeating Stu Grayson. And then the main event of the Zero Hour, we had the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu Takahashi, Shingo Takagi defeating the United Empire team of Jeff Cobb, Kyle Fletcher, and TJP. A couple quick thoughts I just have. Um, First match of the night, I liked the guys that they had involved. But at the same time, it it was weird having Desperado kind of teamed up with people that he normally wouldn't, you know, be teamed up with in New Japan. It sort of seemed like he was shoehorned into there. So that was a little bit strange. Plus, the crowd wasn't that reactive for that match. Um, The Athena-Billy Starks match, very enjoyable. I thought that they over-delivered, but it didn't fit the motif of like what forbidden door is and sort of felt like maybe it was better served being on television than on this pay-per-view. I don't know. Um, I liked Stu Grayson versus ELP, even though it was a little bit kind of just showcasey for ELP to like fly around. Um, I would like for them to have done more kind of weird new Japan, AW type of matches in these other spots, as opposed to, you know what they did. And then the 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 main event, the six man tag was fantastic, and it was really good, and it was the first time that the crowd really came alive, especially for Hiromu and the rest of the Lij guys. But I don't know if I wanted to see two units from New Japan going at it on the undercard of this this whole thing. And this could have maybe been better if like House of Black or something like that was, you know, interacting with one of the New Japan units that just probably would have been more in the spirit of what forbidden door is even though like i get it kyle fletcher is like aew most people kind of don't even really know that yet you know yeah um that i think that was my major uh issue with the pre-show there wasn't as much uh on the cross matchups of course we got the callback with swerve and despy of last year um and i'll just mention it real quick swerve coming off you know uh facing tanahashi the night before losing to him uh and pretty much demonstrating that um that he's kind of you know getting tapped on the shoulder to like be next he comes back and gets the win um following you know the following day um uh, but but you know we we recently saw these guys you know going at each other uh, i think it was rampage i, I think it was a uh, empire or united empire and chaos yeah, sort of teamed up with uh osprey fletcher and Cobb yeah. to take on uh best friends yeah right right and then like you know as josh mentioned like you know kyle fletcher signed aw now but I, I just think they could have got more creative in the pre-show especially like knowing all the juniors that are available, the young lions, uh, the, the young wrestlers who I think you would, you want to start mixing uh, them in with the forbidden door brand to like start building stuff for the future, especially like, you know, looking at all, all the people that didn't make this show um, on, on this show, like, you know, your Keith Lee's or Ricky stars, Hobbs, um, FTR, you know, Doki so, was in town. Doki was, was, was there just chilling. You know, he had a great match with uh, Jack Perry on Rampage. He got over yeah. huge crowd was, uh, you know, doing holy dookie chants uh, got over. David Finley, all, all the the whole new Bullet Club. Tony Khan could have got got an early look at all those guys to see which one he wants, you know, in the future. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, yeah, interesting. Um, I'm or, glad you're stopping there because I thought you were about to go on next. And be like, oh, they, you know, they also miss out on House of Torture. Like, nah, bro, now, now you. Well, <laughs> look, I, it is it. not. Show, not show was there. Show wrestled on Ring of Honor taping. 
Ring <laughs> Honor would have been cool to have, though. Yes, yes, that's true. But you know, look, Ring Honor, not the same thing. <laughs> it, it's it, it's you know, it's over there. Yeah, it's oh, the same. It's over, not the same. Ain't nobody gonna watch that. Overall, yeah, I enjoyed the pre-show. I thought, you know, funny thing in the first match, we had uh, Rich's good friend Swerve against Keeping a Strong Style's good friend Rocky Romero. Yeah. <laughs> Proxy battle right there. <laughs> I didn't think about that. So that was uh, pretty funny to see. Um, I agree with you guys on the, you know, the, the Billy Starks-Athena matchup. Um, just kind of didn't really fit the vibe of the show, even though I've kind of been digging the Athena push and what I've been seeing, clips of what she's doing in Ring of Honor and, you know, the the, uh, the the death match she had uh, last week looked pretty cool. Uh, but, yeah, just didn't really fit the vibe of the show. Uh, ELP, I thought, looked really good in his match with uh, Stu Grayson. We had a question from Grunty Dodge. Were you surprised by any of the crowd reactions? I thought ELP would have gotten more since he's Canadian, but my section seemed pretty tepid and based on conversations around me. People didn't recognize who he was without the Bullet Club branding. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the crowd did not seem to have that much of a reaction for him, and I think that has a lot to do with the way he's been promoted in New Japan. I mean, um, granted, they've done some cool things with him, but he's never been the top guy when he was a junior, and then he was brought up, and he lost the feud with Finley, and now he's just kind of in this no-man's land, sort of undefined, unaffiliated, uh, you know, territory, and there, aside from the fact that he's ELP and he looks cool and he does great moves, no one's really quite sure who ELP is right now. That might change, but you know, for right now, he's sort of a hidden secret in New Japan. Yeah. Also, I don't think it helped too that he was facing Stu Grayson, which people are probably confused. Why is he in the Dark Order? If you're not watching <laughs> ROH, you wouldn't have known that Stu turned his back on Dark Order and joined the Righteous with a. Uh, Vincent and um, the other dude, uh, Dutch. I didn't know what the fuck man, the righteous I, I, even was. Bro, I saw that white man going out there doing that little step and then snapping his fingers, and I was dying laughing. Like, I know I've seen them before, but this this kind of popped me in a way that it hadn't previously. <laughs> so, now, Josh, a few minutes ago, was like, it's all the same thing. Can you run that by me of what exactly Stu Grayson is doing and tell me how the fuck I was supposed to know that was going on if I was not watching ROH? It's not the same thing at all, bro. Nah. <laughs> yeah, but there's lots of stuff that happens in AEW that we don't know what the fuck it is when they had dark. It's the same shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got a point. You got a point. <laughs> at least at least dark was free. What was what was the one group that you guys used to mark over with all the Trustbusters? Oh, yeah. No, 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 hold the fuck on. Hold the fuck on. Hold the fuck on. Hold the fuck on. Slim J. Slim what do you mean by y'all? Y'all be more than one person. I know damn well you're not getting me mixed up with, with, with Rich's nonsense. Respect Slim J. <laughs> you know, Slim J. Uh, oh, my gosh. Well, shoot, shoot, great tradition of, of great groups like, um, you know, all y'all. y'all the, all the, the, the Peter Avalon. <laughs> all right, you all know, right, right. Now you be careful with that all y'all shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Peter Avalon and um, Cesar Bononi. Wingmen. You know, lots of great traditions. Yes, yes, the Wingmen. Oh, yeah, that's that's the group I was thinking the Wingmen. <laughs> oh, my God. Pinky's out, you know? Boy. Yeah. Yeah, early to AEW. Oof. <laughs> All right. Uh, any other thoughts on the uh, zero hour before we move to the main card? Now let's get it. They should have done cooler shit. <laughs> yeah, do more. Do cooler shit. 
Uh, all right, so the main card of Forbidden Door 2023 opened up. We had the AEW World Title match. MJF defeats the ace Hiroshi Tanahashi 15 minutes and 46 seconds. <sighs> I enjoyed the match for what it was. I came in a little late to it. I uh, got a story for that. Not going to get into it now, right now while I was late. It wasn't my fault. I was late and it wasn't my fault. It's what rare times I'm late and it wasn't my fault, but whatever. Um, yeah, okay. man. No, fuck that. We don't get into it. The shout, out, shout, shout out to uh, the homie at Publix that wanted to charge me $40 for a 16 piece. Shout out. Shout 40. Out I'm sure it, it caused me to be late to watching, you know, one of the you know, biggest shows in wrestling this year. Shout out to you. Anyway. Nice. Um, yeah, man. Um, like, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing. I'm digressing. Sorry. Don't too far. Back onto the road. Yes. No, sorry. Brew Hayden has made me part, pulled his back off the road. Look, sorry, man. Yeah, man. This, this feels like me. part two to the haircut conversation. How Bro. much are you willing to pay for chicken? <laughs> Bro. I, yeah, yeah. Rich. I stopped at the Publix by Jamie's spot to pick up the chicken and then take it to Jamie's spot. I ordered a 16 piece. An eight piece is like nine bucks. So a 16 piece is like 16 bucks. Yeah. The person clearly marked on the label eight piece and charged me to uh, the 16 um, price and then realized it was a fuck up. So they just put the stamp over the top or the receipt thing over the top of it, um, fixing the price. But you can see that one was over the top. So this guy thought that I was trying to scam some fucking chicken. So he was like, <laughs> wait, so what, what's going on? I was like, uh, and I see, I saw, I didn't even look at the price for the first one, so I was like, "Oh, no, nah, this is a sixteen piece." He's like, "So it's double." I was looking at things like you. So I, I, I said this calmly without, you know, you know, how I can be rich. I said this calmly, like, "So you thought a sixteen piece was 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 forty bucks?" <laughs> and he's and he and he didn't like realize that I that I asked him that like he's a fucking idiot. He was like, uh, "I was like, okay, so let's you want to take it? You want to take it back to Delhi to get it straightened out?" He took it back to Delhi to get it straightened out. <laughs> Forty bucks for a sixteen piece, Rich. That's what the price of this was. Yeah, no. Man, out of Publix. I'm not. I'm not asking some rich out of touch motherfucker how much how much the cost of milk is per gallon. He has no idea. There's a person Bro, that works a... at the store. I, I had a very oh, similar experience and, at Publix. And he thought this was forty bucks. <laughs> He's only money in the back. Josh, oh Josh go ahead. I had a very, uh, I won't get into it, but I had a very similar experience at Publix just a few days ago, so I I, I get it. <laughs> They're fucking up over there. As far as this match goes, yeah, uh, yeah bring sorry, us back. Sorry. Uh, I'll just say it. This was so much better than it had any right to be when the reality is Hiroshi Tanahashi is, like I've been saying, for the better part of over a year, completely and totally shot and broken down. And yet, him him and MJF were able to go out there and just play the crowd like a fiddle. And they ate it up and they responded to every single thing that they did the entire evening. Um, this was a masterclass in like working the crowd. And it was highly entertaining. And in some ways, yeah, it was kind of sad because, like, Tanahashi cannot wrestle at the top level any longer. I think the last time he was really viable in that way was, like, last year's G1. 
and I don't think he's ever gotten it back since then. Um, but regardless, they told a really good story. You know, MJF was selling the knee, and so that played a lot of, of what was happening when he got the knees up and Tanahashi hit the high five flow and everything like that. But, um, you know, ultimately they did a fuck finish where the referee got involved. He hits Tanahashi with the, the ring, pins him one, two, three. Uh, but the crowd was just so into it. And for me, even if a match is like on the downside, it's sort of like that Rock Hogan thing. If the crowd is into it, it's always going to get over with me for the most part. And the crowd was really, 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 really into this. So I liked it. I liked it a lot more than I think the majority of the fan base on both sides like this match. I, I thought the crowd was just uh, really integral to making this match matter. I think they were, were, were uh, I think they reacted to both guys like stars, especially like MJF was noticeable. It seems like month by month he's getting a little bit more. Of course, comes out with the New Japan as an indie fed um, jacket on and uh, designed to get all the right designed to get all the right people um, angry at him. And um, you know, Tanahashi's a dad, man, um, and it's been it's been a hell of a ride for Hiroshi Tanahashi to be as great as he was for as long as he was and to find ways to, to work us with his injuries, to, to fight off father time the way he did and to take his, his, his game essentially from the air to the ground to the emotion stuff. And, you know, just thinking about it, it's just like, I, you know, we all love Tanahashi and um, just seeing him is just like, you know, I was, I'm, I know he's washed, why can't he just stay? Like, just stay here, Tanahashi. Like, <laughs> you don't have to wrestle any more G ones. You know, you don't have to. You know, uh, you know, do do road anymore. You can just, you know, warm it up every couple of weeks. We all love you here. Yeah, and that, that kind of leads into a question too from uh, Botchmaster Zero Zero. How bad do you guys think Tanahashi's knees need to get before he gets some rest? The magic is still there, but it's getting tough to watch. You know what it kind of reminds me of a little bit? If you've ever seen the documentary where Muhammad Ali is getting ready to fight uh, Larry Holmes, <laughs> and they talk about how, like, Ali takes off the rope, and he's like, look at this, and he had a full six-pack, and they're like, champ, oh that doesn't God. that doesn't matter. <laughs> like, you're washed. Like, that's Tanahashi. comes out, he's still got the abs, yeah. but the knees are shot. The speed is gone. Like, he, he, can't, he can't hang at that level. <laughs> God, that's just <laughs> sick. That is sick. <laughs> oh man, you know it was it was a slow match, you know, but they they played the hits, and you know can't can't hate it too much. Yeah, it it was a fun matchup, but yeah, it was kind of rough watching Tanahashi, especially the night before on Collision when he wrestled Swerve. He, back to back nights for the Ace. Look at that. There's yeah. NBA players who don't play back to backs. <laughs> And he just could not get his footing under the AEW uh, turnbuckle top ropes. He was had a hard time in the Swerve match. Swerve saved saved the match in that that spot there. And then uh, this match here with MJF, he was struggling too. I don't know, maybe if that was a little bit of psychology from Tanahashi, where he he was trying to play up to the botch the previous night, or he was continuing to struggle with that. They got different kinds of turnbuckles in Japan. That's what that's about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's not used to it. James, what do you think about this match? I have nothing to say. Josh has just 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 hurt my soul. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Compared Hiroshi Tanahashi to a dude with the head brain damage, he was still fighting. 
we had another question here from Stale Burger Bunny. He says, will MJF main event another pay-per-view during his title reign? Seems like I think he's gonna um I think he's gonna main event against Punk in Wembley. Uh I, I think he's gonna be I think it's gonna be actually uh, in Chicago against Punk. Unless they do like a back to back rematch kind of thing. I think they're gonna do that at the United Center. Um but he's gonna be underneath whatever you know, one would think. Uh, Kenny Omega's doing it all in, you know, or or Kenny Omega. I don't know. Brian Nelson's injured, so that's probably out the window. Uh, if, if it's Osprey Omega three, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I disagree. I think Kenny Omega versus Will Osprey is going to be is going to go down as one of the notable greatest series of matches that never main events a single show that it's on. I don't think that's main eventing Wembley. I don't think it's main eventing another uh, AEW pay per view or New Japan. Wrestle Kingdom. It's going to go on before MJF in whatever MJF is doing um, in uh, Wembley. Good luck. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Follow that, pal. The best I'm not saying, machine does not take kindly to the disrespect. I'm not saying it's uh, it's the right call. I'm just telling you the, the you know that's the. Uh, the ML yeah, some fraudulent. It feels like some fraudulence is going on here, man. Like I agree. Know. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see them doing you know a back to back thing because you know we have all in one weekend, all out the next weekend. You could have maybe you have Punk beat MJF in Wembley, and then MJF and then Punk gets the rematch, or MJF gets the rematch in Chicago the next weekend, gets it back, or vice versa. Like you can do like a double main event kind of thing there. They did that before. Punk was confused. He never saw Rocky Three, so he didn't like it. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, moving on to the next matchup. We had uh, Owen Hart Foundation Men's Tournament uh, quarterfinal match with CM Punk defeating Satoshi Kojima, thirteen minutes and forty seconds. This was a blast. Um, I know there are some people that have um, have different feelings about CM Punk. Um, some that are legitimate, some that are like things that you could should be able to dismiss as just being like just over the top. But um, he had that crowd eating out the palm of his hands and he knew it and he fucking reveled in it and he loved it every second of it. And for him to have this match versus Kojima and then like pull out some fucking ROH joke, insider joke from like 20 years ago to my Lariat, Lariat, Kojima, Kojima. Look. He was having the time of his life. The crowd was super into it in a, in a place where in a spot where a lot of people would have some worries about, like, you know, how the crowd, how's the crowd going to react to Kojima? He was over and they were rooting for him because that crowd hated punk so much. And Kojima did, you know, he did the hits like usual. And he still he still can go when, when it was asked upon him to do whatever. And I thought they put a very fun match together that could basically be run on any show. And um, people would have enjoyed it. Now, I'm not saying it's a classic or I'm not saying it's even a great match, but it was a fun match. And watching them, you know, more or less, you know, do their thing with, you know, getting by more on charisma than like detailed storytelling and in um, detailed uh, athleticism or not detailed or like extreme athleticism. Like it's not a Young Bucks match. It's not a Kenny Omega Osprey match. It's not a Danielson um, Okada match. This was like, quintessential undercard fun and 
like I would suggest the people that are really upset with CM Punk to figure out what you're going to do whenever he's in a town near you because if you keep it up and give him these kind of reactions what do you think's going to happen what do you think's more likely to happen <laughs> when you give him these kind of reactions y'all better chill the fuck out for you have tony khan get that man uh the belt again because he's a mark for that dude y'all better knock this shit off jeremy 2023 kojima better than tanahashi let, who let, really won the war listen <laughs> satoshi kojima can still Go, baby. This man came out here and outperformed the ace. This man came out here, had a great match with CM Punk. It's a shame this man is not in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. This man should be in the Hall of Fame by himself. Sorry, Tenzon. You you can try on your own. <laughs> I'm starting the agenda this year. We're going to get <laughs> Kojima into the Hall of Fame. We're going to do this for Bread Club. This man came out here. Great shape. You know, strongest arms. Chopping this man. Larrying this man. Older than CM Punk. <laughs> Koji Cutter. This man turned the clock back. You, you would have thought this was, you know, 03 MLW Punk versus Kojima. This, this, was, this was great. I loved it. Yeah, me, me oh, and Jeremy man. were over at over at Jamie's, and we were just having a blast watching this bullshit. <laughs> Not even <laughs> bullshit in a bad way, but like it was just such a good, fun match, man. <clears throat> like, so I, I want I'm interested to see what y'all two had to, had to say about it. With me and me and Jeremy, we were we were like pigs and shit. We was happy as hell. <laughs> this was this was my first time seeing Steam Punk wrestle since he returned. I live a busy life. I don't have time to watch Saturday Night Collision, um, so I haven't seen any of those matches. Um, I, I did like, uh, CM Punk's new gear. Uh, I thought that, I, I don't know. I think that when he wears like the fight trunks there, it's a little bit more fitting than like the, uh, the long tights. I think those long tights are not great looking. Uh, Punk got very divisive reactions. And like you mentioned, James, um, depending on how this kind of continues as time goes on, if he continues to get earth-shattering heat like he is here i don't know where the company goes as far as booking him in terms of you know face heel dynamics but he's getting very impassioned uh you know responses regardless and that's going to endear him to the bookers because they don't have as many guys like him that are getting that many impassioned um responses so yeah the people that hate him they're letting them know and it might come back and bite those fans in the ass uh but there is something to be said that is a very unique sort of environment that has kind of even though i'm not a a punk fan right now it has kind of turned my feelings about it where i'm like hmm this is kind of different than anything else that's on the card it might be interesting to see where this goes but ultimately i still stand behind what i said last week on our show where like i think that there are still Bridges to be crossed, things that need to be ironed out in terms of just the longevity and and the viability of him being in the company anyways. Putting all that aside, I thought Punk, his shtick in this match was hilarious. Him hamming hamming it up, him hitting the Mongolian chops and all that. And then uh, (laughs) the way he was pretending, like he was taking the chops and he like pushed him off because he didn't want to take any more chops. He looked like me and you know training, basically <laughs> wanting to get the fuck out of there. And then uh, you know, but obviously like it was all just a setup. Kojima comes back, he gives him more chops. They had a lot of fun. 
I did think, though, I'll tell you this. I don't think Punk's in great shape. Um, you know, he had a long layoff. I think he should have probably gotten a better shape like he did the first time when he came back. He kind of looks not great in terms of that. And I thought he was sloppy. I did. I thought that there were some awkward bumps, some awkward awkward sells. You know, maybe I'm a, more of a stickler for that sort of stuff than uh, other fans. I don't know. This was a fine match. It was fun. I loved that the crowd was so into Kojima, which I didn't expect whatsoever. Um, and then the last thing I'll kind of say about it is uh, as fun as this was, as interesting as it was, Punk got outperformed by almost everybody else on this card when it comes to singles matches. And as fun as the shtick was, this was mid-card fodder. And I thought the women outperformed him. I thought even Broken Down Tanahashi and MJF had a better match overall. And I do think it's going to be interesting to see, can he be carried back to the main event scene just based off of charisma, just based off nostalgia, based off of great promos versus the kind of in-ring work that like Kenny Omega is putting out there and that like Brian Danielson and the BCC and, and guys like, you know, and Hangman Adam Page, does he deserve to, to be up there up. with those guys? Yeah. And to cash Ray Phoenix, we'll see, we'll see. But on this night, Buddy Matthews, Andrade, he had a great. He had he had a fun match, but I thought he got mopped by almost everybody in on the card that evening. <coughs> Big reactions to to everything. I thought it was um pretty funny. I thought the whole crowd uh, booing him was you know this this is what it was always going to be. Um, I don't think this is some genius plan from AW and CM Punk. I think the the fans decided this is contrary to how people were trying to spin this. Uh, be like, yeah, you know, we're going to be polarized on purpose. No, I, I think the fans made that choice for them. Smart on them for leaning into it. Of course, you know, CM Punk's never had a problem getting booed or anything like that. Um, the only thing, you know, it, it adds more into, you know, he wants to be like Bret Hart or whatever. But one thing with that whole Bret Hart thing, uh, and Josh kind of hinted at it, it leaves you in a weird position for how you get booked sometimes, especially the the longer it goes on. Sometimes you get left with no no opponents because it's like, who wants to be on the wrong side of this thing or whatever? But, um, you know, I, I think this is going to culminate with him getting a title shot at, uh, at All Out. Uh, as far as, like, you know, Kojima, love Kojima. Um, he's... <laughs> he's fucking hilarious he was um talking about it all on twitter today and uh liking different tweets and you know just just kind of every time wild kojima comes too. over liking wild, yeah, shit, wild shit um every time he comes over i think he's a little bit more over than everyone thinks and i think he is a little bit more appreciated than a lot of people thinks despite not you know his rise to power not necessarily coinciding with a lot of the this fan base but he's right. someone i think a lot of people just appreciate um, kind of like one of those people that you know you might not necessarily have been in New Japan the whole time, but you like help lay the groundwork for Puro in general, um, right. like throughout the, like the two thousands and all that. Right, like we've seen it in person, like um, like before the you know before the pandemic when they had that show in St. Pete, yeah, like, new, new beginning, yeah, right. Like he's because he's charismatic and and everything like he makes it all work like he's a guy that obviously with the language barrier it wouldn't have worked perfectly but like he's a guy similar to Eugene Nagata without obviously didn't have the same amount of fan for WCW stuff but like he's somebody that like comes in and is going to wrestle 
it gives you a it has a high floor and is and is a veteran has done everything, seen everything, and knows how to get through anything you put him in front of. And it's not a high six situation, so you have to worry about it. But he's also still so good that like if you put him in a high six situation, he go out there and give you 40 in, in, in small doses. Like when we see him in Noah, for example, uh, uh in the last year. Mm-hmm. Like that match he had um last summer in, in Budenhall Hall versus Kino, uh or, or so Kanoa for the title match for the top title. That that match is great. The tag match, the tag title match he had um in Budokan on January 1st this year was great. Like when, he's a guy that can give you what you uh if you don't ask for much, he can come out here and give you anything you ask for. Just don't ask for it a lot and don't ask for something at the highest of levels. Ask for great, he can give you great. I, I watched the show with um my girlfriend and her brother, and her brother, you know, he's a big wrestling fan, but maybe not as familiar with a lot of the new Japan guys. So he was kind of asking me in relation to like age and popularity, what were some like comparable, you know, uh, generational guys. And Kojima came out and he's like, he's older, huh? He's like, who, what generation would he be? And I was like, like triple H. <laughs> and then he saw like, really? like, wait, Triple H couldn't do this anymore. Yeah, like, and then you start thinking about it. It's like Triple H, Kurt Angle, The Rock, they can't do what Kojima's doing today. But that's right. the same age, that's the same generation he comes from. Like, and then uh, you know, he'd seen Tanahashi, and he's like, So Tanahashi's older than him? And I was like, No, Tanahashi's <laughs> like the uh the like O2, like the Brock Lesnar, Batista, John Cena, like generate. He's like, Really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, Kojima's just really good. He can still go. It's kind of weird. He didn't damage his knees doing high five, high five flows for you know two decades. Yeah, you so know, the floor. Yeah. comes out of cost, kids. <laughs> strike, strike base offense. It's walk and brawl. Yeah, but yeah, you know, fun match. Like no, nothing to go crazy over, but you know, you'll take those reactions whenever you can get them. Yeah. A few questions here. Stale Burger Bun says, now that we've seen the long awaited dream match of Kojima versus Punk, which other AEW guys, you'd like to see Kojima wrestle in the future? All of them. Let's get this Kojima AEW tour coming. You know, Tampa is getting a dynamite in August. Bring Kojima over. Let's run it, baby. Give me give me that Kojima run. Let's do You know, international title. OC's had it for a while. Maybe a little, you know, Koji Cutter, you know? <laughs> so I know you going, I know you in your bag and you doing your thing. I'm not, I'm not, look, no, I'm not, I'm not even gonna step on it. I'm just gonna move over to something else that was pointed out. Didn't Kojima wrestle uh two years ago or last year, Moxley on, on AEW? Yeah, yeah, yes. Right. Like Moxley versus all those new Japan dads. That is that shows you what can happen if you do this, you know, in a certain way. Like, yeah, so Kojima. Yeah, sure. Um, Yushi Nagata, same thing. Obviously, he's tied up with All Japan right now, but you get my point. It's like, those New Japan dads, if called upon, can get it done. Uh, you know, Tanahashi, he, look, I don't think he can move as well as those guys at this point, but like, still, he can get by on charisma and all that. But yeah, uh, yeah, just you compare, you know, their, you know, their contemporaries. Uh, and from an American perspective, he's like, nah, man. Like, <laughs> how many, how many, like, how old is uh, Undertaker now? 50 what? Uh, old. 57? Up there. Like 57, 58. Yeah, something like that. 50 yeah, old. usually got us, what, 55? Yeah. 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 Nah, man. Under, you ask Undertaker to have a, you should have got a match, he, he, he might die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sure that people probably have better answers than this for me, but like, if I were to get 
uh, Kojima against anybody in the land of Tony Khan, a match he's never had in any iteration would be against Samoa Joe. They've Ooh. never stood across from each other. And we already saw what Joe could do with an older guy like Suzuki where they just right. go out there and throw strikes. Right. That would be fun as hell. Look it. So yeah, let's do I'm that. In. I'm in. Yes. Eddie Kingston, of course, obviously. Like any 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 of the AEW brawlers versus the New Japan dads, sign me up. I'm in tune in to watch it. Yeah. Oh, Shibata. Yeah, you can do that. Pure pure yeah, talent match. <laughs> uh Barry Wall says, Jeremy, were you him, happy him against anybody from New Japan's a dream match? <laughs> uh, Barry Wall says, Jeremy, were you happy to see Kojima being the most over guy of the crowd on the card? Oles on top. Uh, yes, I, I was loving it, Barry. Uh, then we had a question from SRHBKS. Why is Punk so ass at wrestling? And how does he fool so many people with his cartoon villain BS? <laughs> I'll take this one. Uh, uh, <laughs> this one was sent to me directly. Um, so. Um, so to address the question, I think CM Punk is not ass at wrestling, right? Um, however, the, I, I think to, 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 to address your second part, like why is why he's quote unquote fooling so many people? Um, a lot of fans right now, a lot of their, their anchor to being a pro wrestling fan, um, it, it starts and sometimes ends with CM Punk, uh, you know, from the beginning of the last decade. And, you know, it's hard to give, give some of that stuff up, you know, and say, yeah, it ain't hitting like the best of the best or whatever. Um, we, you know, we were just talking about Tanahashi and Tanahashi's beloved. Obviously, you know, Rose Tanahashi hasn't sat, you know, and alienated himself to a lot of the, the fan base of New Japan or, or anywhere else. But nostalgia is a powerful thing. And also, you know, strange tribes link up at times. And, you know, you know how that goes. Yeah. I think Tom, I think uh, Punk is very good at wrestling. He's just not as good as the top level of work that we've come to expect in AEW at the top level. That's my opinion on it. I think he, for the amount of time he's had off and the you know well-documented case that he's not the most athletic person in the world, he's kind of an overachiever in, in the fact that he really understands psychology and really knows how to work a crowd and has been able to do the most with what he was given. I, and there was a time where I would have definitely considered him one of the best workers in the world at a certain time, but that was over a decade ago and now he's a guy that is kind of an old head and he's still very good but i don't consider him as good as what we've come to expect from the top level of AEW when it comes to the main event scene that's my personal opinion this is my opinion we were not a decade ago like on on one and just pretending that this guy wasn't a good ass wrestler. He was one of the better storytellers in the game at the time. And I am pretty sure that if I were to pull up matches from 2011 through 2013, his even his best matches, right, and and played them. And then I played like stuff like his his uh, title, the second match with Moxley or the match with um. MJF or the match with uh, 
uh, Paige or Moxley. I forgot which one I mentioned, I mentioned her previously. I mentioned his best stuff. This is match with Eddie Kingston. If I show you those matches, you're not going to come back to me and be like, oh, yeah, he, there's a, just a gigantic decline in his work, his actual technical work and his match quality. You're just going to be like, oh, the standard has changed. CM Punk ain't changed that much in the ring. We have. That's, that's really what it comes down to. And people that are unimpressed with CM Punk, I don't think they have the background to realize exactly what the American landscape was when he was considered one of the best guys compared to now when you see all these guys that are came up and had the internet to watch everything, to pick from everything, to get better at it. Yeah, uh, unfortunately for CM Punk, he he found himself in all elite wrestling, uh, where <laughs> the, the 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 floor for great wrestling is just so high, uh, and like you know, right. His psychology like, is great. He's great at po- promos. He has charisma. He's a pro wrestling star. He has that fan base he can draw. But at the end of the day, AEW was founded on great matches by great professional wrestlers. And when you have guys like Kenny Omega and Ray Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. and Hangman Page and Konosuke Takeshita uh, killing it every week on TV and pay-per-view, it, it's hard to compete with that. The, the one thing I will say about Punk in his defense and or people who can just lie. <laughs> Have we That's considered true. that? <laughs> the other thing that this company was founded on was incredible promos and incredible programs. And that's one of the things that he does maybe almost better than almost anybody in the company. And that's probably one of the reasons he's still getting by, but right. I like, digress. That's, that's that's the thing when it comes to certain people's aspect of what they respect and what they don't respect in pro wrestling and what they value more. And it's like, okay, you're telling me that he's not at the top in this particular category. Would you like to go through what programs in AEW history is better than MJF versus CM Punk? Or better yeah, than a short sprint than Kingston and CM Punk? Yeah. Oh, you don't want to do that? Oh, gee, I wonder why. <laughs> like, I get it. Like, he's he's bit, he, he, he did some fuck shit. I get it. I I don't approve of his behavior either. However, that motherfucker is good at one aspect, of, or that motherfucker is as good as anyone at one particular aspect of wrestling, and then in the other one, he can hold his own. And, like, if you don't value that, I see why you'd be like, enough, I'm not impressed by this dude. Like, I'd rather watch somebody else. I get it. But it, you're, you're looking at it from a skewed, like, prism for your context of what makes a great wrestler. Well, we'll see and what it, happens. To be fair, we've done this with people in AEW before. That's why, you know, Cody Rhodes is in, a, is in WWE right now. Mm, that's true. I think it's going to be interesting and, and, and to see what happens. And, and CM Punk's TV is way more consistently better than what Cody was doing in AEW as far as t- program building. Way, just a wholly different type of level. Yeah. He never got whipped. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that is true. He ain't moving told off a cage. He never yeah. moonsaulted off a cage. Never set us on fire. Yeah, CM Punk also never t- tried to tell me that uh, Atlanta is post-racial. He also CM Punk also never told me that. So you know, <laughs> there's some you know gives and takes. He never healed America of its racism. Oh man! <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to the uh, AEW International Title Four Way Match. We had Orange Cassidy, the champion, defeating Daniel Garcia, Katsushiro Shibata, and Zack Saber Jr. 11 minutes and 15 seconds. This was cool. Um, I Kind of a weird um, cross match of guys. Like, there are a lot of grapplers. Like, usually when I see four ways, I think, like, you know, high flying. I think, like, 
you know, just tons of people getting getting moved in and out. Um, this one was kind of carried a lot by the striking, you know, people facing off, pushing each other out the way. And ultimately it just ended up with orange Cassidy stealing it at the end. Um, interesting kind of, uh, cross pairings because anytime you get Daniel Garcia in there with, with some of the people, Daniel Garcia is obviously being invested in, you know, for the future. Um, and like five years from now, he's going to be like one of the best all around guys there is. Um, and, Orange Cassidy keeps rolling. He, he's a curveball for anybody almost. Uh, but, you know, I feel like there was another four way that could have been constructed with the, the roster, um, you know, that was available that might have been slightly more interesting. Uh, but for me, this is when, you know, the, the real cards started. I was like, all right, the old man matches are out the way. So let's get to, you know, the let's get to the to the real shit almost. So, uh you know, and, and that that's respect. I, I, I dug this one. Yeah, the youth movement with Katsuri Shibata from New Japan. Yeah. And Zack Sabre Jr., who's a lot older than you think he is. Looking and, at him. and Orange Cassidy is also a lot older than you think He's he is. He's old, too. <laughs> <laughs> this match was fine. Um, I, I, I definitely think it was in that spirit that we were talking about earlier where you've kind of got a unique matchup full of different characters from these various different companies sort of interacting and you never expected it. And there was sort of a lack of the big multi-man tags that we'd seen on last year's show. Um, But at the same time, it kind of felt in the build-up to this match kind of weird and convoluted because it almost felt like we had two separate programs happening where we were going to get like Daniel Garcia against Shibata and then maybe like the TV title versus the international title. But ultimately all four guys ended up in the same match. So that was fine. Um, I thought the mat- the work was good, maybe not great. I'm seeing some very high scores. So I think, you know, most of the audience was probably more into this than maybe I was. Ultimately, they did go with the old trope where the champion who's going to retain waits until everybody else hits the finishers and then dumps the guy who hit his finisher last out of the ring and then picks up the win. We've all done it. If you're ever playing WWE 2K, it's the best way to win a multi-man <laughs> match. It works perfectly. <laughs> and that's exactly what Shabbat or what uh, Orange Cassie did here. A little bit out of character for a guy like him because he is a baby face and that's typically something you see from a heel. But I think it fits with the story they're telling where he's kind of gone through hell in this very busy, very, you know, um, challenging title challenge, like a uh, period. And now he's sort of a champion that's holding on by a thread and kind of dealing, you know, he's had 25 a lot of defenses. Yeah. 25 fuck? defenses Whoa. in a very short period of time. So, um, you know, I, I think it kind of fits the story that they're telling here. The work was good. I thought it was highly entertaining. I loved, uh, Daniel Garcia doing, you know, the salsa and the, the dance he does never yet. Yes. The dance he does, kind of hilarious. But um, it seemed in the post-match, <laughs> like now that Daniel Garcia lost and he's out of the way, these three champions are still going to have something going on between them in some form or fashion, even beyond this event. Maybe on ROH TV, which none of us watch, so I don't know. Yeah, and at least a question from my last commission, 7252. After that tremendous fatal four-way, how could Japan not book Zack Sabre Jr. against Shibata sometime this year or even hold it until Wrestle Kingdom for Shibata to dethrone Zack for the TV title? Well, there's this thing where 
Katsuri Shibata called an audible on management. They didn't like that shit, and he's never coming back. <laughs> There's this other thing also. But he's where that man is the U.S. A, department, right? Look, that man is an AEW Ring of Honor wrestler now. I don't yeah. care what anybody says. Yeah. So, okay, so... All right, for me, I'm watching this match, and I'm watching, obviously, um, Saber not take any of the bullshit from Orange Bollocks. And orange bullocks, <laughs> yeah, and you know, <laughs> bend up his arm into a pretzel. Orange Cassidy's affected by it. Anytime Orange Cassidy goes for any of his Orange Cassidy stuff, Saber is like, I'm not with the bullshit, knock it the fuck off. I'm gonna, you know, fuck up your, your hand and your arm and your wrist. And then you have him versus Shibata, obviously, because of um, because of how they met last year for Bendor. And in the meantime, like, you have uh Garcia that wants the pure title back from Shibata. And I thought that like this match for most of it when like you have Shibata and Saber and um that was Shibata's kind of return match, the exhibition match that they had unannounced and they're rocking each other and they're getting him out the way. They're getting De- or sorry, uh Garcia out the way so they continue and then like ultimately you see Shibata has the match one over uh, Garcia and then Orange Cassidy at the end after like you know steals the pin so you have all these reasons to continue all the stuff of the turmoil what the bill was it was like you mentioned all these things that were in the air of what could happen is like I feel like this was the I know it's a WWE trope finish but like this is a, the finish you do if you want to continue all that stuff with singles matches amongst all these people right like Saber ate up Orange Cassidy they, so they can still have a title versus title match uh, for international title if need be um, Shibata is respects orange but he just got fucked over by by the dude and had to match one so you can do that and the person that ultimately ended up getting beat was beat by shibata um and like if garcia is gonna have to try to do something to get his pure title back so like i i thought it worked for the story they're trying to tell to continue all this stuff yeah i thought it did a great job booking this match out i really enjoyed it also loved yeah garcia doing the, the salsa dance uh throughout that <laughs> uh, there's some great sequences and yeah i think i thought it was a really fun match i think um maybe on a different you know timeline this this probably should have opened the show um kind of that fast paced kind of fun opener uh but overall really enjoyed it and yeah i'm looking forward to seeing you know what's coming next there is a roh pay-per-view next month so we're probably going to get shibata defending the pure title against daniel garcia there um yeah but like you guys said it Shibata, he, he's a ROH. He's a Tony Khan wrestler now. I don't expect to see him wrestling in Japan. He'll maybe New Japan Strong US pay per view, maybe, but I have a hard time seeing him again in New Japan. Yeah, the guy's got the line mark on the logo, but he doesn't wrestle for the company. He's not, he's not even like, the trainer anymore. They, they got yeah. He's not the trainer of the LA Dojo. Like he's not affiliated with them, but he's quote unquote signed a contract with them. But we don't know what the details are. It's it's fucking weird. <laughs> One other thing too, I'll say this: even though I didn't necessarily love the match, I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. We also have to keep in mind it was a four way. And one of the dirty little secrets of wrestling is like four way matches generally suck. If you go through the history of like great four way matches, there aren't that many. So this probably over delivered in a lot of ways. You know, if you're grading on the four way curve. Yeah, I wasn't great on the four way curve, but I I thought this match is great. Like I, I this for me this was easy four stars. Yeah, I was um, a four star. I, I think that's yeah. probably about right. Just yeah. like the main event. <laughs> well, well, we'll get there in a second. Uh, but first, let's talk about the IWGP World Heavyweight Title match. 
the champion from just five guys. Sonata defeats Jungle Boy Jack Perry 10 minutes and 49 seconds. How are you going to say it like that? The champion from just five. He's just the champion, bro. But he he is from just five guys. That That's his faction. I wasn't, I wasn't trying to bury him. He wasn't actually trying to diminish the title. Relax, man. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I wasn't burying him. <laughs> it sounded like it. <laughs> that's his faction. Just five guys. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, This one got 10 minutes. I thought they'd get 17. Maybe I thought this was just getting, like, turned up. And it ended. Um, Sonata, shockingly not over. I think he was the least over Japanese guy on the show, um, despite having the IWGP World Championship. Um, I think it says a lot for Sonata having just as many opportunities as Tomohiro Ishii, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuchika Okada, Kota Ibushi, all these other Japanese natives, Tetsuya Naito, been in all those same G1s that were broadcast in this country. Been on all those Wrestle Kingdom shows. Been on all those Dominions. And then he comes out. And this is where the, the KIS uh, as faithful may be upset with me here. He comes out and it sounds like a rat's pissing on cotton. Um, I like the match still, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, You know, eh. Poor guy. Like, let, let's just say that. Like, I was hopeful for Sonata in this to, to have this be the match that maybe this actually breaks him out in America as somebody like, oh shit, like maybe we've like, you know, maybe we got it wrong with this guy. I don't know. I'm not seeing it. Um, but you know, the match was. I thought the match was fine, but like from a from a star presentation. Or like there were pre-show guys that were getting more reaction than him, so it was it was a rough one for 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 Sonata, I think. I didn't think it was uh, I didn't think it was rough for him. For him, it's like you if you're pushed like a certain level for a certain number of years, that's kind of where you are. He was always yeah. pushed like a mid Carter, and like he had mid card performances for what is New Japan in that era, and. He's here, and I, I really enjoyed his match. Like I thought that um, this is for Jungle Boy and for Sonata both. Like if they were both, if either of them were more over, the crowd reacted way more to this match. I thought this match technically was yeah. very damn good, and yeah. ultimately, and the problem was the crowd wasn't emotionally invested in either one in that way. And there's a reason why Tony Khan had him lose so that he could uh, had Jungle Boy lose his match so that he can go out here and get himself over by turning heel on hook. And um, I have some questions about like that program from a promo perspective for hook in Jungle Boy really do. But uh, <laughs> it is a, it is a, it is a new um, direction. And like, this is the best thing for them is like, this is a single swim moment for both of them. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you, James. I thought the, the actual work in the match was very good. Um, I wouldn't say that uh, Sonata had, like, no reaction, but I wouldn't say he had a good reaction. They're going reaction nuts for the Paradise Lock stuff. Yeah, they, they, they definitely popped for that. 
I think that there's something where, like, when he was aligned with LIJ, when New Japan was at its peak popularity and he was sort of chasing after the title, he might have had more cachet and fandom in North America than he does now being on his own, being the head of, of this new unit and sort of having this new persona. And even in Japan, he sort of um, had more support chasing after the title than he has being the actual champion. And it's going to be a big test to see how he performs with all those young dudes in that A block in the G1. That's going to kind of be like the quote-unquote real test. <laughs> but if this if this match with um, Jungle Boy was any sort of indication of what that's going to be like, it, it's going to be the old adage that we've always said about Sonata, the guy that can wrestle up to the level of his um, – competition but is never able to bring lesser competition up to his level and i don't I, i'm not saying that to diminish jungle boy because i think jungle boy is a fantastic wrestler but what i mean is in terms of star power this wasn't a performance where he elevated himself or jungle boy in the process that being said in terms of technical wrestling this was vastly superior to the first two singles matches on the main card but it didn't get the it didn't get the same kind of reactions from the crowd, and then the abruptness of the finish because so many people probably weren't even aware that the the Muda Moon Salt is like a quasi secondary finish of um, Sonata's. They didn't react for it. I thought the story was fine. It was kind of a story where Jungle Boy just wasn't on the IWGP Champion Sonata's level and couldn't really hang with him, and he got beat decisively and clean which necessitated his turn. So I thought from that aspect, it was a good story, but it didn't do any favors for either guy in terms of like live crowd reaction. So, I mean, it is what it is. I do think that in a, in a different world, if Sonata had been given perhaps a more um, marquee name, maybe we'd be talking about him having that breakout performance, but I just don't think he's the guy that can, bring a lesser known talent up to a higher standard or a higher level because he can't do that for himself really. Yeah. I think it goes back to what we've been kind of predicting on kiss. You know, everybody's asking, you know, do you think Sonata's going to be champion going to forbidden door or going to G one? And, you know, before dominion, we were no. like, he's, he's, there's no way he's going to go to forbidden door as champion because he's just not that over <laughs> in the U S we thought the belt was going to go to Naito or Okada, somebody who the U.S. fan base knows, who, who's, you know, very over here in the West, and that wasn't the plan, and we saw what happened. Um, you know, I don't think the reactions were, quote-unquote, terrible, like Dave Meltzer said, uh, but they weren't, you know, superstar. There weren't a crowd reaction for a IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. There was a crowd reaction for a mid-card guy, and I had a buddy of mine right. who's a, a lot. Somebody they knew, but not someone they loved. Right. And I had a buddy of mine who's like a, a lapsed New Japan fan texting me through the show. He's like, oh, you know what's going on with Sonata? He's not in LIJ anymore. And like, so if you haven't been watching New Japan, people are kind of like, all right, you know, yeah, I remember Sonata in LIJ, but you know, what's this just five guys thing? Different look? Like, what's what's going on? And then, like you said, Josh, like people are not familiar with the, the Buddha Moonsault being one of his finishers. I know usually it's the Skull Inn and now the Deadfall, but he does occasionally win matches with the, the Buddha Moonsault and to me, like Rich was saying, like the match was really, I thought, like kind of hitting that next gear. And then he hits the moonsault and it was over. And it was kind of a flat finish because the crowd 
didn't see it coming. It was kind of like, uh, and so for me, like I thought the work, like the technical work was good, but like you were saying, Josh, earlier, like a hot crowd can help a match. I think a lukewarm crowd can also hurt a match. And so for me, yeah. it, it kind of hurt the match in, in that regards. Post-match, Sonata takes the title, goes to the back, gets his hand raised, and then you see Jungle Boy getting walked to the back with his best friend, quote-unquote, hook, and you know, Hook's trying to console <laughs> him. He raises his hand, and then right in that moment, boom, he turns, gives him the clothesline, drops him on the ground, and uh, very, very shocking. I, I Everyone was kind of calling for this to happen, obviously. I think a lot of people were sort of thinking that they might slow roll this and maybe uh, play it out over a long period of time. It's like, no, they're going right with it, like almost immediately. Um, Taz on the call was hilarious, talking about how, like, you know, he's trying to stay impartial, but he's like, you just made the biggest mistake of your life. Dude, yeah, Taz. <laughs> That's who's going to do the talking. By Taz the is wilding out. <laughs> what I think is funny about this, though, and I'm, I'm fine with these two young guys going out there and having an establishing feud between one another. That's cool and everything. But I do think it's funny that, like, Jungle Boy's whole thing is that he's been chasing a singles title. He can't win a singles title. So now they're going to have him chase the FTW title. That's not a real title, bro. <laughs> Josh, I said this on the show last week. It's like he's going after a unsanctioned, unrecognized belt. And like then Rich was like, he he, he asked if he, he stumbled across genius. This man said it's just because it's a failure to win. It's like, yes, that's right, FTW. Failure to win. Like, what's, <laughs> so when he's going to be after, so because he can't win any singles belt on his own that's actually recognized by AEW, he will now like go after and chase after and potentially capture the failure to win belt. Excellent. Go after, go after Zach Ryder's internet title next. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see that match. Actually, look, look up, look up Ted DiBiase Jr. See if he still got that million dollar title. Find one of those shits. <laughs> Collects all like the the non like <laughs> sanctioned titles. Yeah, <laughs> the the PWGP Tam Nakano Panda Belt too. Go get that one. Jesus. Call John Juris. Get that GUW title. <laughs> get, get the uh, get tag team partner. We need those young buck super kick titles also. Yeah. yeah hey, does Jared, does Jared have look? Does Jared still have those Global Force belts? Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Along with the gold. Global Force Gold. <laughs> like, oh, man, none yeah, of these belts matter. Gold. Hey, man, we have not killed him about that shit. This man was something. Never mind. We're going to be digression. Sorry. Get the, get the selling gold titles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Beat Floyd for it. <laughs> Go win the ROH titles. Those titles don't matter either. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, log out of the call and log back in because like your video is like way behind. I don't know what happened. Uh, on the stream? Yeah. Yeah. It's been like that for a while, like on my screen, yeah. but like looking at it on the on the uh Twitch, it looked perfectly fine. Mm. That was odd. But yeah. And now you guys have swap names. Amazing. <laughs> nah, bro. I am nah switch that. Yeah, yeah. Switch that. Don't I'm not Josh Smith. Don't do this to me. Deeply embarrassed. <laughs> 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 well, uh, let's move on to the, the next matchup here We had the elite trio of Hangman, Adam Page And the Young Bucks 
teaming with Eddie Kingston and the Stone Pitbull Tomohiro Ishii, and they defeated the Blackpool Combat Club of Claudio Castagnoli, John Moxley, and Wheeler Utah, who were also teaming with Konosuke Takeshita and Shota Umino. Rich, take it away. <laughs> man, man. Are taking man. the fucking mic out of the stand? <laughs> Tomohiro Ishii at last gets a big, big W. Tomohiro Ishii aligns with the elite. Loved it, the whole thing with Eddie Kingston. Um, I thought this match was absolutely sensational. Five stars for me on this. I thought this was a... Um, this was like almost an in-match competition of I ain't no bitch. No, oh, I ain't no bitch. No, I ain't no bitch. No, I ain't no bitch. And all these guys were just in a circle, just trading it around. Whether it was Takeshita knocking the shit out of Ishii, whether it was Ishii just like facing off with whoever, Marcy and Kingston and, and their big chop thing. Hangman Page, the way he hit the, the ring like a ball of fire, the kicks he was throwing and the strikes. And it was just like, there's so much snap in what he does. And, and I was like on Twitter in all caps saying, Tony Khan, re-sign Hangman Page right now. Like, um, I thought this was a classic. Like, like people, you know, we saw a couple weeks of collision. We saw the, the main event, multi-man match, nice matches that happened. And I think people, you know, lost their minds a little bit. You know, uh, the Blackpool Combat Club and the Elite, plus a couple additions, had to readjust and show what a multi-man tag match, like what a great one is. It was this one right here. And um, this was just, uh, this was crazy, man. Um, I I think Takesha's got it totally figured out already because, of course, he does. Um, and this is just one of the coolest matches, I think, uh, that you'll find with this many people in it. So um, the people that will come out here and tell you that the Young Bucks are just high-spot merchants and can't tell stories, I mean, they're down like they're down by like 150 points. <laughs> <laughs> um, this match had so many layers of awesome stuff of telling you between like uh, uh, and he also giving you programs of future you want to see like giving you Ishii and Takeshi that you want to see make you want to see Eddie Kingston and, and Claudio again make you want to see and figure out uh, the resolution or, or want to see like what's going to happen in the fallout between Eddie Kingston and Moxley over the, pet, over the part where like Kingston hates Claudio's guts um this this was so fun. This was so fun. And like even like the little layer where you don't know exactly like the intention of Eddie Kingston and like what they're gonna do with like this double super kick they end up hitting Kingston when you tried to either go after Moxley or try to save him because he's conflicted. You don't know which way it was, but he didn't get that like that's also added to what's gonna happen in the future with him. Like I'm sorry, man. Like the Young Bucks are some of the best story in-ring storytellers in the history of this business, and people think that think that they're just fucking goofballs. They should like, just be disregarded. It's like, like they, sh they should be allowed to just walk from the company. <laughs> and like, like the idea and like the idea that they laid out that match where they have Kingston and Moxley to get the crowd up after they tease it the first and Moxley asked out, asked out and then they get back in and they start just trading big chops and and, and shots with each other. And as it's happening, everybody's hitting big dives out to the floor while Kingston and Moxley are still in the ring. 
brought it out because of like we're giving you spectacular like this was like a perfect example of like what AEW snapshot what AEW gives you like it can give you heated personal stuff the drama and the and the emotion and and all of that stuff and it can also give you spectacularness from all the dives on the floor that was happening and like that's like a whatever gift you want to make of that like those should be chopped up be like this is AEW how the fuck do you not like this yeah, <laughs> and claim that you like all these things that a that that all the other wrestling does, or whatever else is like. This is giving you all of it. It's a gigantic variety, and even sometimes happens at the same time in the same match with with ten people. It was awesome. You know, uh, speaking to that whole aspect about them not telling great stories. I mean, this is peeling back the curtain a little a little bit, but like I've been told on record by numerous people that work for that company that even though they aren't technically quote unquote agents some of the greatest matches in the history of that company's promotion have been agented by that by the young bucks specifically nick more so than anybody else like nick is supposed to be from what i've been told by numerous people simply one of the greatest minds when it comes to psychology and laying out a match and he's like a virtuoso at it but they'll never they'll never get the credit for that It's, it's not hard for me to believe because i see his matches Right, like, can, can you believe that Shawn Michaels sometimes be good at telling people what to do in their wrestling matches? But the thing is, like, okay, you Josh, can see their match- on that. You can see their matches, and their matches are great. But they understand other people's characters and what gets other people over, and how other people work their matches. And they've laid out some of the best matches of some of, you know, how there's these other camps in wrestling. Right, right, right. They've laid out matches for some of the people that are on the other side that people are like, they're not like the Bucks. They're great. Well, the Bucks have many times laid out your favorite matches for the people that you like that are supposed to be the antithesis of these guys. They're, they're, they're geniuses when it comes to professional wrestling. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. And it's not all just flips. They understand the psychology of wrestling. They're, they're some of the greatest storytellers that have ever been in the business. And yeah. the E and AW, y'all know what the fuck it stands for. <laughs> Elite. <laughs> yeah. You this know. match... It was in, this match was incredible. Um, I, I'm not going to recover everything that you guys mentioned, but I mean, there were other things here too. Like obviously, Ishii got the big pin over Wheeler uh, Utah. Uh, I think that Wheeler Utah probably of everybody in this this match got the least reaction of anybody, but that kind of is hard to sort of achieve because he's not as white hot as he was, you know, a year ago, but as a young guy, now he's got kind of this lofty goal in New Japan over with Ishii to potentially maybe that's a thread that he could, you know, uh, try to chase down. Um, I know you guys already talked about Takeshita and Ishii, but those two guys seemed like they had something against one another all throughout the match because they were like magnets and they just kept coming back to one another. And that was sort of like, you know, when did you ever think you'd see, you know, Kanosuke Takeshita from DDT fight Tomohiro Ishii like that seems so unbelievable but it happened for me yeah (laughs) um with the dive spots like it's incredible that Nick Jackson can still with such precision hit these very convoluted rope walking you know twisting spots to the outside and never get hurt he's been doing it you know for all these years it's really crazy hangman was awesome hangman was incredible in this match everybody in this match it was magic like this is one of the greatest 10-man tags ever right up there 
with um you know the Hart Foundation in um at at the Canadian Stampede right yeah. up there with uh the famous 10 man tags from Michinoku Pro in the 90s it, it's it's up there with all that shit Dragon Gate some of the LIJ 10 man tags it's, it's just as good as all that shit I think the only way it could have been better, even if it, if it was elimination style, like over the top rope, like especially this being AW New Japan show, I think they could have stood to do the elimination style. Yeah, I, I was mean, surprised. I was surprised they didn't brawl around the arena, mm-hmm. which is in the MO. Well, they just did it at the last pay per view, so they probably like, yeah, cut it, cut it out. We don't need to do that all the time. Even though you know, guy- Moxie would have been like, "Oh hell yeah, brother, I get the blade." <laughs> exactly. They didn't blade. They didn't brawl on the outside. They didn't use very many weapons. They just had a pure, beautiful wrestling match. It was incredible. Jeremy was trying to jump in. Uh, Jeremy, sorry, what do you think it is? Yeah, man, this match was awesome. You know, a lot of people will come out here and say, yeah, these group of wrestlers don't know how to tell stories. You know, everybody's pointing to the bloodline right now and talking about how it's cinema and there's such, you know, great, they need to win an Emmy. There's such great story. It's such great psychology. And I'm like, man, look at this match. Like there were so many threads weaved in this match. Uh, the, the elite and the rivalry with the Blackpool combat club, uh, Eddie Kingston, his relationship with John Moxley, how much he hates Claudio Castagnoli. Uh, then you have, you know, Kanosuke becoming heel now, and he's kind of feuding with the elite. You have Shota Umino, who's still, like, mm-hmm. coming into his own and trying to build his rep. You know, he's going into his first G1. He's been having this heated feud with Okada. He wants to beat Okada so bad. And when he when Umino's with Mox in the Blackpool Combat Club, he gets this edge. He gets more arrogant, more cocky, and we see a more aggressive side of him. So that, that was another story right there. He's trying to live up to the guys that he's teaming with. So there's just so many pieces. And, of course, you have Ishii, who told us in Dallas he just loves to smash. You, you can sign him for any match. He, he just wants to, you know, hit somebody in the face. And so, like, all this this match just came together, and it was wonderful. Uh, Kanosuke knocking Ishii into the Shadow Realm. That man sold that so great. Uh, on, on the I heard end. it was real. Oh, wow. Well, I heard he got knocked loopy for real. Well, it, it was an incredible shot. And then uh, Hangman... The, the discus uh, elbow to Kanosuke when he was running in, sent him to the channel. They need that rematch too. Yeah, like they set a stage here. There, there's so many singles matches alone that they can do from this feud. Um, and, you know, Kingston's doing more, G, he's doing G1, he's doing more New Japan stuff too. So there's a story there as well. Like this match was just so well laid out, so incredible. Great moves, great storytelling, great psychology. Like, and of course, you have, like, 10 of the best wrestlers in the world in one matchup, and what do you expect? Like, this was awesome. Incredible. And a uh, friend of the show, uh, Kevin Crawford, said, how hard did you pop when Ishii won for Team Elite? And, you know, we were watching with Jamie, and we already knew when Ishii got the pin, like, Rich's voice message is coming through. <laughs> 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 like, turn, turn, turn your phone up. <laughs> You know, I, I thought Ishii at one point when he hit the stalling suplex from the second rope, I thought he was going to do the brain buster from up there. I was like, "Oh shit!" But he didn't do it. Yeah, man, <laughs> it, it was so cool. I like. I think that's that's probably Ishii's like defining win, like in uh in in the United States, yeah. possibly. You know, and uh, that, it's just such a cool moment for you know all of us that have loved Ishii for all these years, and then we get to see him. You know. Get, being the one to pin somebody finally like and uh you know 
he, he doesn't really get to win, you know, the IWGB title. He doesn't get to win the Intercontinental title or nothing like that. But winning this a match this damn good, hard to, hard to beat. Yo, remember when he thought he was a former WWE champion? No. He got interviewed one time. They were talking about WWE. He's like, I, w- I wrestled there. I was champion there. And they're like, no, that was – you were champion of Ring of Honor. And he's like, it was in America. <laughs> he, was <laughs> he didn't know what WWE was. He was like, I was champion in America. I thought, is that not the same? <laughs> uh, also, had a question here from Ethan. Says, Do you think Shota will eventually end the Moxley aspects of his gimmick and become more of his own character? Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's coming, yeah. but it feels like there's money in that program as well. Right. Down the line a couple years from now. I I don't see any reason to go away from it. Um, Immediately, you know, eventually he will, you know, he'll be who he's going to be one day, but one day ain't today. And you can take advantage of like the Blackpool combat uh, association um, to keep him over when he comes to the United States, so he doesn't end up like Sonata, like and it'd be like you know just showing up in his mid thirties, and then everybody's like, "Who gives a fuck?" Like, but it's not gonna happen. They're not gonna book him like a mid Carter for for eight years. <laughs> just saying, like you know, you 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 assign these guys like with these with these guys from AEW, and it's like they they have these stories that to call back upon. They have these associations, and that alone will work in programs in japan or america as popular as like all these like you know people seem to be and as well booked as these companies are at times yeah i'm, I'm with rich like the thing i think the thing that like last year when people were complaining about there being too many factions in AEW, like the part where i just got lost on it it was like i'm sorry i thought they like the people that were making this complaint most of people that talk about like they like the not match stuff part of wrestling which is like okay so you're saying get rid of the human element of these people have had wars spilt blood shed tears and broke bones with each other and then people fall out or whatever else or or like you get the easy idea of why are they why are these people in the ring fighting because one of these people don't like the other person in this ring and like these are all clicks and like they're protecting their own like when Moxley said to Kingston on last Wednesday that line or that that line where he's like, you know, I was always told like you 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 protect the people that that stand behind you, you respect the people that stand beside you, and you go up against the people that stand in front of you. Like that's it, John Moxley again, understanding pro wrestling better than everybody else. Like that's the human connection. All you idiots talk about all oh, AEW's wrestling matches or certain or Japanese wrestling just all wrestling matches. No, the human element of these people have ups and downs in their relationships, and that carries the and that carries the emotion for why you people are compelled to, why people are compelled to watch the wrestling, just like anything else. The bloodline. What do you think that is? <laughs> when um, a few weeks ago, I was talking with Rich, and we were kind of discussing the BCC versus Elite storyline, and I kind of likened something that up to this point I felt was lacking in the feud was that there wasn't that Four Horsemen-esque feel to it. And what I mean by that is, like, in the 80s, when the Four Horsemen were feuding with, like, 
say Nikita and Dusty and you know the list goes on and on Sting Luger whoever they would have these big multi-man tag matches and you could throw a bunch of guys in there and there'd be all these you know converging story threads and then the match would end and yeah the match would end but it wouldn't be decisive in this in the sense of like they put to rest all the stories instead they could branch everything off of it and it would continue to grow and and they do business right and I was like, they're not really doing enough of that with this, and and the potentials there in this match they did that, and it, now it, it, now it's like, damn, there's so many things they could potentially do coming out of it, and it, it's really awesome, and it is one of the things that was lacking in last year's uh, Forbidden Door, where like it was a cool right. showcase show, but there wasn't enough, you know, converging of storylines. Now the stage is set for all sorts of stories across both brands. It, it's really cool. Yep. Yeah. And you know, Blood and Guts is 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 coming up at some point this summer. Yeah, the the rumor is uh July that the Boston uh T D Garden show is what where a Blood and Guts is gonna be. Okay. Hopefully they do it right this time. <laughs> uh let's move on to the uh next matchup here, the AEW women's world title match as the champion Tony Storm. Defended against the NJPW Strong Women's Champion Willow Nightingale, Tony got the win 10 minutes and 27 seconds. As the resident expert on women's wrestling for the Social Suplex Podcast Network, I'll start off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know what? Um, I've been a big fan of Willow, especially what I saw from her recently in that um, tournament in uh, New Japan Strong. I I felt like uh, we got to see more of what she's capable of doing in that tournament. And if you read a lot of the reports, some of the stuff she's been doing over in ROH has also been very impressive. Obviously, the crowds love her. And um, it's very interesting to see her go in there with Tony Storm, who, uh, you know, Tony, the first time she was champion, had her run, it was fine. She had some good matches, but... It didn't feel like she kind of found herself as a performer. She didn't feel like she had that star aura that she had when she was in stardom or even like NXT UK. This run, she feels more defined as a character. She definitely feels more, she feels like a bigger deal. And that really translated here in this match. And what what I loved about it was like, obviously at the end of the day, Tony was picking up the win. So they gave 90% of the match to Willow, and it kind of was a situation where, like, yeah, Tony beat her, but Tony, like, kind of had to survive her and basically deal with her never-ending onslaught until finally she found an opening and a way to cheat and then was able to, you know, hit her uh, pile driver to pick up the one, two, three. The crowd probably wasn't into this match as much as they should have been considering how hot the match prior to this was. But the work was impeccable. The match was, I thought this was one of the better um, AEW women's title matches that they've done on pay-per-view personally. I thought it was very, very good. Um, One has to wonder what this might have been hypothetically if Mercedes had been in this spot, which has been very much alluded to. But uh, I I loved the match. I thought it was really good. Rich, James? James? Yeah, I thought this match was good, and I thought this match was better than um, the crowd reaction it got. But like I said, some of these matches got offered up for sacrifices, intermission uh, breaks. And um, yeah, I um, with Tony Storm, I feel like she in the ring, 
she has had matches. She has had some very good matches and even a couple great matches in, in AEW, but it feels like she's rounding into form as a regular, getting more, getting more consistent time to have matches. And like, she's having like a certain level of quality of the matches that like, you, uh, like, cause she's getting a lot of reps at this point right now with the outcast thing. And like, she's, she's has to be the workhorse for that particular, uh, faction and she's holding up her end. Um, but yeah, uh, her and Willow, I thought, told told a very simple story. Babyface is overpowering, and the the more experienced wrestler has to scrap and claw and find openings, and with the help of her friends, try to cheat. And you know, even even when she gets kicked out, finds another opening, gets out gets out of there with the W, gets out, comes out the back door with it, and gets out of there. Yeah, um, good match. I measure a lot of these, um, some of these the AW women's title matches by by the energy that I kind of feel from it, from it. Sometimes uh, I'll see these shows and then it'll be like, oh shit, here comes like you know, are, are they going to ruin you know the momentum of the show or something like that? Because you know, let's keep it a bean. Like they'll have like people in there and it's like, ah, uh, you know, and it's like the crowd is giving it the. The, the the quiet respect the quiet claps like just like all right you know we wish it was better we we would we we like the wrestlers but it's just it's just not going that way i don't think this was one um that we had to worry about like that uh right. I, I think tony storm and willow have been circling each other uh and, and willow's really com- coming a long way of course uh she was recently called out by julia um for the new japan strong bell told her to show up to uh, cork and hall july 4th so um she's you know obviously had to match mercedes monet i questioned beating her here um she did like kind of get cheated uh but i i think uh the fans of AEW are starting to really buy in on will nightingale more than just like uh you know, when, when she first showed up, it was like, you know, it was just maybe it, it was a little bit on Twitter and it was like, oh, why don't you do something more with her and all that? But now I think she's putting in like the performances to match it, to be like, all right, um, we'll set somewhat long for you to get there. And I, I she's quickly like rising up, you know, my ranks. Yeah, I really enjoy this match. And I definitely agree to Josh's point that the work in this match was better than the, the crowd reactions that they were getting. And also Again, this kind of goes back to the kind of the cons of doing the the buffer style booking. They had to follow that incredible um, elite BCC multi-man match. Had you done a more, you know, New Japan style, you know, booking layout like this would have been earlier on the card, probably would have gotten a better reaction and would have elevated the match. But uh, regardless of that, I still thought this was a, a very fun match, very hard hitting. Like you guys are saying, Willow's coming into her own right now. Riding a big wave of momentum, defeating Mercedes Monet um, and winning the, the strong women's championship and doing big things. And so, yeah, it seems like it's going to be uh, her and Julia at uh, one of the Independence Day shows coming up for uh, New Japan Strong uh, in Japan. So that's going to be a great you know opportunity for her. And, yes, yeah, you know, she's kind of taking, you know, fate kind of happened with uh, Monet getting injured and kind of taking the spot and she's running with it and very hard hitting match. Love the, the death Valley driver onto the apron and just really kind of showed her, you know, her uh, almost like a never style um, kind of matchup from her with the big, you know, lariats and kind of her offense. So yeah, really fun matchup and looking forward to seeing, you know, how this story is going to evolve and what else will is going to do in the future. We can get deep into the whole, you know, 
stuff with Julia when we do our preview next week for the July 4th stuff. But one has to wonder if we're going to do that, then why did we create this belt in the first place when they already have? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. I, I was told that they need it, Josh. That's, that's, that's <laughs> Oh, man. Well, it, it's time. Let's uh, talk about doing? <laughs> the IWGP United States heavyweight title match. The aerial assassin Will Ospreay defeats the best bout machine, Kenny Omega. 39 minutes, 50 seconds, new champion, big title change here. Man. <sighs> okay, let's get out of the way. How many of us like the first match better? Raise our hands. Cool. Oh. This is <laughs> cool. <laughs> We've addressed it. Let's move on. Um, now, the next thing. Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega came out here and had a match 99.5% as good as the one they had January 4th. This shit right here was brutal. This was uh, classic storytelling of like, uh, you know, national pride was in there. Um, insane moves, dangerous moves, dangerous. double juice. This was just like, this was absolutely sensational. It was a I'm just going to say it. It was a fucking insult not to put them, put them on last. So you deserve what you got for the rest of this show. Um, <laughs> and, and it was like, you know, we've got so many questions uh, on this, you know, about the performers and, you know, their standing and all that. I think this is the greatest match in AEW history. Greatest singles match, at least. You know, depends how you feel about the Revolution tag. We, we can debate that another day. Can you get in the room? I think this one firmly gets in the room. Um, this was just like the crowd going insane. Everyone got to shut the fuck up now, right? Like you would think. No, you like, know they don't no. sit quiet for long. Like they gotta shut the fuck up. You know. Oh man, why did why did Kenny beat Will? The the, the crying, the the, the hand wringing for Kenny Omega not showing up to New Japan Road. I'm sorry, he didn't make the tour. I'm sorry. Why? Because we had up with shit like this. And now Will Osprey gets the belt back, and he can continue being the fucking man like he is. Like this was. This was just like had me sitting here like this is why I love pro wrestling because of matches like this sensational guys that will put their fucking like lives on the line for us and the check. And it's like <laughs> and it's like I can't believe the detractors of both of these guys. I I just hope that they are ready for the Observer Awards. Sports Illustrated, Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the One Nation Radio Awards, Keeping It Strong Style Awards. I just hope everyone's prepared for the one-two finish. And if they run it again, what's stopping them from going one, two, three? <laughs> I'm tired of these niggas. Like... I like pe people. I, I heard it all in the, in the, in the buildup. Danielson Okada, Danielson Okada. You know, I, I love both of those guys. But I'm like, yo, there are so many reasons to put these guys on last. This is disrespectful. I feel like, and I'm get, I'm getting loud, and you know, I'm getting excited over here right now. But brother, 
tell us when, like, like, tell us, like, like we saw it. Tell Rich when he's telling you. You were trying to go, you were trying so hard not to do the tell me when I'm telling lies. Where is the lie? Okay, okay, that's what it felt like it was going, but okay. But, like, Will gets the, from the booking standpoint, Will gets the win. It's 1 1. They could stop it here if they wanted to, which I don't think is going to happen, but they could. They were very cordial to each other on Twitter afterwards. Um, but this shit here was just like, it, it's when the timeline has to all like readjust the 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 shit that was you know all the selling out. They got to stop. They made they got to sell it another day because on this day we saw who the truth was. Will Osprey, Kenny Omega, throw the stars, baby. <laughs> Um, really loved this match. Um, most of the, while I was watching it, I was very much sort of like, okay, this match is very personal. It's even in some ways more violent than what was a very violent January 4th match between these two guys. But I did feel like it was levels below what we had seen on January 4th for the majority of the match. And I was like, well, you know, it's okay. That, that That's a level that they probably just can't reach again, possibly, and that's all right. But then Don Callis gets involved and the screwdriver spot and then everything like that. And then we got these two near falls that were two of the greatest near falls that I've ever seen in my life. And when Kenny got hit with the one-winged angel and kicked out at one, the crowd erupted, and I was like, oh, my God. All right, here we go. And then suddenly, I felt like this match, even though I liked the January 4th match better, I think the peak and the closing sequences of this match are hotter than the January 4th match and kind of bring it to a closer level. Even if I liked the overall work of January 4th more, the close of this is hotter than the January 4th matches, and it was really, really impressive how they were able to just continuously build, 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 and, and and build that anticipation. And then he hits Kenny Omega with the uh, the Stormbreaker. You think it's over, and Kenny gets the foot up on the rope, and I was like, oh, my God, how did I not see that? He's right <laughs> by the fucking ropes. <laughs> These were, like, two of the greatest kickouts I've ever seen back-to-back, -back, like on yeah. the screwdriver hit and then the um, one-wing angel, one one count. There was other great stuff in the in the beginning of the match, though, where like Osprey had been brutalized in the first match. He was more aware of what was prepared for him this time, and he wanted to basically serve some of that back to Kenny. Both guys did double juice. Uh, there was the spot where they were at the table, and he's bashing Kenny's head through the you know the wood barrier, just like he'd been done back in January by Kenny. Um, there was the spot on the stairs where, uh, Kenny lifted him up and dropped him like a, uh, DDT. It was, it was implant DDT or yeah. Implant yeah. DDT, which was a, a callback to the spot on the turnbuckle on the January 4th match, which busted open will. Yep. Um, and then there was a lot of stuff too. There was other like little callbacks, like little love letters to like Pancrase and to, Anoki versus Ali, which like there was just a lot of like little nuance. Yeah, there was also a, a you know a touch of a little, little love letter to uh, Kings Road too. We'll get to that in a second. Mm. Yeah, there was definitely some of that. There was 
it was funny. We were watching it, and uh, they were hitting the koala kicks, and <laughs> my girlfriend's brother's like the koala kicks. <laughs> 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 no, but like he was just being funny. But it was kind of hilarious. But the match was uh, very uh, a lot bloodier than the match they had prior. In some ways, more physical. Um, really, really slice off half his forehead. Yeah, Will Will's blade job was really deep. Uh, the 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 two things that I think I I would address that I'm not sure that I loved. One, Don Callis. I liked the aspect where he got involved in the match and handed off the screwdriver. I liked the screwdriver spot. I didn't understand the necessity of him having this weird, um, you know, the the security guys with the giant heads and and the Bane um faces or whatever like what were they didn't even serve a purpose they didn't do much to even facilitate anything i get it they were there to kind of like protect um don callis and they were under the auspices of like protecting will from you know the belligerent crowd but it just kind of felt a little convoluted they didn't necessarily need to be there and at one point don had gotten kicked out of the match but then he came, came back, back <laughs> and the referee yeah. didn't do anything about it. Yeah. Which was kind of like, eh, you know, that it's an IWGP title match, <laughs> <laughs> which throwing that in there, we didn't even get like the IWGP just, uh, you know, they let Paul Turner do the officiating red shoes was in look town. <laughs> yeah. Like, look at that. What was up with that? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the, the, the other thing too, with it, obviously, um, you know, we got to talk about it. Down the stretch, Will Ospreay hit a Tiger Driver 91 on Kenny Omega. Kenny did take a, a drop directly on his head. You know, I don't want to, like, sit here and, like, wet my finger at them and tell them how stupid they are. Obviously, that's an extremely dangerous spot. I personally, I think that after 30-plus minutes of wrestling, the way he landed, Kenny landed directly on his head free fall. I don't think that was planned to happen that way. Typically... You take that move somewhat on your head, but mostly on the back of your neck. I think that it was probably somewhat of a botch and very, very scary, very dangerous. I would say the match didn't necessarily need that, but you know, at the end of the day, these are two athletes that know what they're in for. They know what they agreed to and, and shit happens, but uh, I didn't love that spot. But other than that, we're talking about five-star plus match. One of the greatest matches of the year and you know, maybe the greatest singles match in AEW history. Yeah. This match was absolutely uh, incredible. Five stars, like we said. You know, I'll see overall, yeah, I like the January 4th match better. But again, for these guys to come out here and pretty much match the, the same energy and same level of what they did on January 4th was just incredible. These are two of the best professional wrestlers out there today, two of the best wrestlers of a generation. Like, we're going to remember these guys for, for years and years to come. And, yeah, you know, I, I could list out all the moves, but uh, you guys saw the match. Like, the work was just incredible. The story, again, storytelling. Two guys that are pegged as, you know, high spot, you know, flip monkeys, just moves, baby moves guys. They went out here again and told a great story. Um, you know, I, I like the touch of, you know, Will Ospreay, continuing to use the aerial assassin moniker in music to face Kenny Omega. And, you know, he could have gone back to the, you know, the United Empire look and music and Commonwealth Kingpin, but he wanted to prove that the, the aerial assassin 
could beat Kenny Omega because that was a guy that Kenny left New Japan's hands in was the aerial assassin. And so I thought that was some great storytelling aspect there. Also, both guys, you know, Kenny coming out the devil's sky, like forgot that. Yeah. Like the new Japan music, just like really like stage, um, and you know, Osprey yeah, using elevated. Uh, so yeah, so, so much great stuff here in the match. And I agree with you, Josh, I wasn't a huge fan of Don Callis, like getting kicked out and coming back in. Like that's a little bit of like the kind of the Western wrestling flair for me that I'm like, eh, we don't really need that in this kind of matchup. But you know, it, it did work out with handing off the screwdriver, um, and maybe they could have done that a little bit cleaner, but it, it got the job done. And yeah, I, I popped huge for the the one wing angel uh, one count near fall, and then yeah, the foot on the ropes with the the stormbreaker. Yeah, these guys, it was it was a masterpiece, man. Like the wrestlers coming up today are going to be studying this these series of matches uh, for years and years to come to see like you want to see what a great you know blow them out the park pro wrestling match looks like. You watch and study this. Maybe don't study the Tiger Driver part, but you know you, <laughs> you, you watch this whole matchup and you, you see a masterpiece being told here. But I mean, I didn't see on the exposed top turnbuckle either. <laughs> yeah, um, James. Yeah, James. I, I thought this match was incredible. I think this match is that worst second match match I've seen this year. I still put the their first match at number one. Um, it, it, it it more fits my sensibilities of what I want to watch. How to pro wrestling like. As Josh and Jeremy have pointed out, like the interference stuff with Callis, look, I enjoy Callis as being a foil for Kenny Omega in programming the storyline and also what he brings to the other people that that will eventually um, face Omega in the future. But as far as like once the bell rings, I'm the fuck away from the bill, from from the ring. Um, so that that's 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 one thing about it. And then like the part where he gets kicked out and he comes right back with no repercussion whatsoever. In fact, he's able to grab the ref and then take fucking thirty seconds to reach to his pocket and hand him the <laughs> screwdriver to get it out. Like this was like the, this wasn't as bad, but it's like it, it gave me the like the idea of like remember how long it took Heyman to get those handcuffs off of Roman Reigns mm. uh, and oh then he's handcuffed in that last man standing match. It was like it was boring on that. That's how long he was t- reaching into his pocket to grab a fucking screwdriver. Anyway. Um, Outside of that, I thought the inverted story of, you know, uh, he gets of Osprey gets put through that table in these bleeding buckets in in the Tokyo Dome, and basically from there, like there is no hope for him except to get at the last moment a couple of hope spots in and try to change momentum. But mostly, it's from it's basically academic after that. When he when oh, Osprey starts bashing Omega's head into those thin things that are that make a hell of a lot of noise on these announce tables. It looked devastating. And Omega was bumping and selling them without like putting a hand up. He was just going into him like he's a crash test dummy. Like yeah. and, 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 and to a great effect. To great effect. And um he looked devastated and he was getting his ass handed to him. And it like it was time for um the Oz cutter and it was about to, it like it's about to you know start in dark for Omega. And then one of my, you know, Rich, Jeremy. He finally did it. Y'all know, y'all know. My one of my favorite things in watching pro wrestling is like someone has signature moves, and like they get desperate or they get caught in position, and only thing they can do is hit like a lesser, like makeshift version of their move. So like I love when Kenny Omega does like the standing high knee strike. That's basically the, like I'm too exhausted to give a a, a V trigger, so I just thought the knee, and like it reminds me of like when you have AJ Styles, he gets somebody up in a in a position that he like, I can't turn all the way over into a Styles Clash. I only get one leg hook and I drop him. Or like when you get, you know, Naito in the air and he turns to a makeshift Destino. 
Like I always, I always pop for that shit. It always works. It it always is the level of thought to be put into this thing. And um, he got back into the match, and um, you know, you have a callus with a screwdriver, and <laughs> with the screwdriver, uh, he Osprey's covering Omega's head, and everybody in the building knows what's happening to him except for Omega, and he gets hit with that thing. He gets fucking spiked, and. He goes up. He gets a, he, he gets him up, and Osprey goes for the Oz cutter. And I'm I'm next to Jer- I'm sitting next to Jeremy, and like his with Oz cutter. I didn't say anything, but I was like, he's close to the ropes. But I don't know if that was an accident or on purpose. And he gets a leg. I was like, okay, he got legs up. And then he got him immediately. And I actually no, I take it back. He 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 kind of like wait what? And he goes towards Callus, and Callus whispers something in his ear. And he grabs arms. This is Kamagaye, and then he gets him up. For the one angel, and as he hits it, Jeremy, tell t- t- tell tell <laughs> I'm telling lies. I, I say I say out loud. He's gonna kick. I think he's gonna kick one. He kicked a fucking one. And I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have watched so much high fucking some of the highest level of pro wrestling that I'm not gonna predict the greatest kick out of one in the history of pro business. Yeah, <laughs> I am. I, Look, I have reached, I have reached clear now. I'm on a whole new level. <laughs> I, bitch, I was so happy when they kicked out of one. I was like, that's exactly what I expected it happened. But then the match continued, and it was great, man. It was, it was one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. Um, and look, they're, they're, they're probably gonna have another one. It's gonna be awesome. But for me right now, um, through two matches, I've enjoyed this series of matches more than the first two Okada and Omega matches. Cause I did not love that draw mm. um, that they didn't in two, but yeah, these are incredible matches, incredible matches. And um, yeah, they're, they're easily one and two for me of matches I've seen this year in uh, all the world of professional wrestling. Yeah. And we had some, uh, Unbelievable. Questions, some questions here. Let's uh, run through these quickly. So we can get to the last two matches. Uh, first from Ethan in Discord, he says, "Is the conclusion to Omega and Os- is this the conclusion to Omega and Osprey's rivalry? And who do you see beating Osprey in the G One to challenge for the U.S. title?" Um, I, I don't want to jump into the G One stuff. I think we could probably discuss that at a later time because it's too much for right now. But um, I, I, I'm hoping they do another match. But this could potentially, this could be it. I mean, it's very plausible. But I'm hoping they do a third one. I am also waiting to see, you know, we haven't heard any anything about Kenny's current condition. And that was a very dangerous drop. And we've seen people take drops like that and have complications. I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping, you know, come Wembley time, we can see it yeah. a third time. One thing I want to mention, like in regards to the uh, the neck thing uh, or him getting dropped with the, with the Tiger Driver 91. Look, that was a nasty. That was a nasty one. Even by the standards of anybody with, with a crazy neck, whether you want to bring out Mayu Watani or Koto Bushi, that was a nasty one. Like when you when you stop it frame by frame, he like he's not just he doesn't just land and compress on his head and neck at a ninety degree angle. It's at like an eighty degree angle. It's it's nasty. And like this ain't mm-hmm. no, you know, this ain't no hundred and. 80, 190 pound dude. This ain't the most flexible woman that's ever stepped in a fucking wrestling ring either. Like, this is a dude that is jacked to the gills. And yeah. maybe some of that padding saved spared him or whatever else. But who knows? Like, when you like that's a buff neck dude. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And the thing, well, one thing move past that. Man, look, man. He um, my concern for Kenny Omega is that one. I don't think he needed that match. I don't think that spot would have made that would have would have made that or makes that match better if it was not in there. They chose something else, mm-hmm. right? Um, but like, you got I keep him. I I I had this constant concern for Kenny Omega because of like he would just last him for like almost a year just recently, right? And like I think of like the, some of the bumps he's taken in AEW, like when he in that, that match he had with Trent, where he lands high on his neck on a on some super, uh, superplex thing or whatever else in a, in one of those Georgia shows uh, during the pandemic. I still remember like the Vikingo, uh, like a dragon, not dragon Rana, the the the, the top rope, uh, her, top rope uh, body got turned into a Hurricane He landed, he landed on his neck nasty yeah. there too. I'm just like, hey man. You too old to be doing. You too old to be taking these kind of nasty bumps, bro. Like he's you got know. the Kingo next week, right? Well, bro, it, it gets serious. He's Bruce fighting the Kingo next week, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Kingo like, again. I'm just like, hey, man, you just came back. I'm missing like nine months of this shit, bro. You might want to. You might want to. You might want to 86 the neck bumps. Well, you might just you know, want to. Kawada and or I'm sorry, uh, Mizawa, and I don't right. want to go that way. Mizawa never broke his neck. Well. Until he died in the ring, you know what I mean. And there was never a prior like, "Oh my God, he he was put on the shelf for for a year" sort of situation with him. But it was the accumulation of those types of bumps that was his undoing. Um, I'm not saying Kenny Omega's, you know, maybe taking as many serious bumps as like uh, Mizawa had, but dude, like one thing that. I was talking with Rich earlier about this today. And like one thing that happened is like Will hits the mat first on his knees. And, you know, when I was doing wrestling training, one of the things that they always like expressed, and it was very important, like if you're taking a suplex or if you're doing any kind of drills, you got to land flat at the exact same time as the person next to you. Because when you don't, and I've experienced this firsthand, when someone else lands first and you're second, the mat reverbs and you hit the board as it's rebounding and it's worse because you have because there's nowhere for the the impact to dissipate because you're hitting it as it's coming up think of it like when you used to jump on the trampoline and people would pop you up it's the same thing but with wood not with mm-hmm. the trampoline he lands second after will hits with his knees it's got to be fucking bad like there's no way there's no safe way to do what they did where he was free fall landing and lands on his head. The only thing that could save him in a situation like that is the years and years and years of neck bridges and neck workouts that he's definitely been doing. But um, I am concerned about it because, you know, it, it was not good. Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely a dangerous spot and you know we're big fans of kenny omega i want to see him wrestle as long as possible i definitely don't want a, a basawa situation for him and yeah it's but it's one of those things though he continues to try to outdo himself and take things to a next and next level and that is kind of what it gets to is like well he's got to do these kind of crazy spots to to continue to outdo himself but I don't think he actually has. To. Also, another bump I'm not thinking of. Remember the nasty bump he took in the uh, in, in the title change from him to Page. Yes, he, he had a nasty one in that too. Like, understand? Oh. Like, there is, <laughs> at least he has a discretion. At least he does have discretion. Well, except for the Tyler, or sorry, except for the Trent Warriors. Like, 
I'm going to, this is going to happen and it may go not as exactly planned, but like there's a possibility that something might happen in like one of my biggest matches of my career. So like, at least he's not out here like, you know, doing the Darby shit where he's doing this on any old random fucking dynamite. I will give him that. There's also but also the uh, the Phoenix I, splash onto the exposed ring. Yeah, that's right against, against the fucking Moxley. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the yeah, things he, you I do mean, be great. Like, yeah, I, that, you look, know, like I, I look. I just I am not saying don't do this stuff because he ain't gonna listen to me. He don't give a fuck. What I'm saying is I, but I, I'm mean, saying that like I am concerned at, of this because like he's at that age. And we don't know how many more times he's gonna get up, just get up after some of these things. So that, that that's you know that's my really only concern. I'm not gonna tell him how to change how to wrestle, like because look, clearly he knows more about wrestling than I ever will. <laughs> go, go ahead, run through the questions, Jeremy. Yeah. So uh, ready, user. Okay, okay. Ninety says, is Osprey gonna beat Kenny clean, or is their story done now? No, it's not done. That's the same thing. It's the same thing as any when he t- did that promo um, going into. Um, uh, into the G1 final last year, where he's like, "Look, man, I, I'm not, I'm not trying to make, I'm not delusional. I'm not going to say that like I sold out all these buildings and then turn. I'm not even on one of these fucking cards." But um, he's like, "Hey, I have not beaten Okada on my, you know, on a fair one." And I'm pretty sure when next match comes up, he's like, "I, yeah, I beat you, but I didn't beat you by myself." Yeah, and that's always going to be the hook on this. I saw some New Japan fans crying over this because it made New Japan look weak because the New Japan guy wasn't able to cleanly beat the AEW guy, yada, yada. And I'm kind of in the middle because, you know, I don't think this is quite as egregious as, say, for instance, the one time Osprey beat Okada. He had to have serious run-in from like uh finishing moves. Great Ocon, yeah. 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 This isn't quite that. You know what I mean? This was something where, and I was very afraid going into the match that once Don Kaus got uh involved this past week, I was like, oh, they might do a fuck finish. They didn't really do that. Yeah, he hit him. Yeah, he hit him. They teased one. They teased one. Yeah, he cheated, but by and large. It was probably about as clean as you possibly could have gotten on a, uh, you know, a match where someone got stabbed with a screwdriver in their forehead. Yes, yes. exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do think it's interesting that the heel won both matches in each case, and now hopefully we get a rubber match. And who knows? Maybe Will goes in as the babyface in Wembley, and we'll see what happens there. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we uh, we get a, a definitive answer. Maybe we get two out of three falls, Iron Man match. Who knows? Something like that. I don't know. It feels like these guys are kind of above alignment uh, at this case because, like, I don't care if they're in the UK. Like, the way Kenny Omega has been wrestling this year, like, he wants that damn most outstanding back. Ain't nobody booing him uh, unless he's in the United Center or some (laughs) shit. Like, (laughs) and Phil Brooks is standing across from him. Yeah. And even then... (laughs) Yeah, I think you guys nailed it. Like the, the big key is going to be, you know, Osprey has to beat him clean, and I think that's going to come up in, in the promos, whatever, whether it's going to be at Webley or Tokyo Dome, wherever they're going to do it. Like, Kane's going to be like, "You beat me, but did you really beat me?" Like, so when is when is like the when is like when are people like imagine the timeline for when like Kenny Omega's contract ends? Soon, uh, like the end of the year, like yeah, uh, like what month? 
I would think like October, November, or something like October, that. October, like, look, man, you said it like there's nobody you can stand across the ring from and get booed. Look, bro, um, when the elite versus the bloodline happens, Survivor Series, he getting booed, bro. <laughs> you dumb. I can't wait for Kenny versus Cody three. Oh my gosh. <laughs> you took the shit too far, man. I was fucking joking. Sick. You want to talk about some whack shit. Sick. Come on, man. Sick. Oh I like God. the Kenny Cody matches. All right, Rainbow's Slam Pig has some questions here. It says, thoughts on match of the year after last night. Osprey vs. Omega 2 has supplanted the first as my choice. Do we get a third Osprey vs. Omega match to close out the series, or is, is that story done for now after Osprey's definitive win? And on a night with incredible matches and amazing wrestlers from top to bottom, Kenny Omega came across as the best overall wrestler on either roster, in my view. Is he a legit GOAT contender? If not, what is missing? Uh, For me, he's in the discussion. Uh, The person that I think is number one is the person that his, his, you know, like has the series with. Like, I think that for me, the GOAT for me at this point is Okada. And after that, for me, it would probably be Kenny Omega because of what they've done in the last seven years. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's that's for me. Um, now, if you want to throw out Kabashi or Masawa or Ric Flair or Shawn Michaels or Brett, I've seen more of Shawn or Brett to give you an answer on that. And for me, the answer is no. Great, great. Like, they're my childhood. For my for my particular age, it's, it's like it's Brett, it's Ray, and it's Shawn. But – just objectively speaking, like they are wrestling at a higher level because like the game has evolved. It is what it is, right? Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what it is for me. Those is, those are the two for me. I I'm gonna say, like, you know, for a long time, like I never really just come out like in like you hear a lot of people get brought up like this, as James mentioned, it's like, can you be in the conversation? I obviously I think Kenny's in the conversation. I'm mm-hmm. just going to start beating the drum like that. He is the goat at this point. Um, the, I think the the only thing, the, the weakness you might add, right. Uh, would be uh, compared to your, let's say Danielson or Okada. They've got a couple more years. He may have a higher peak at the, and you know, and sometimes like when these guys are on the cars together, Kenny's the one walking away with, with the accolades and the the fanfare and the adulation and shit like that. So like, um, I think Kenny is done. He's done it in both places, which for me is like really, it it, it really like adds to. Uh, it was kind of like his Wrestling Observer uh, newsletter, Hall of Fame candidacy. He he's a great draw. He's a great worker. In Japan, like in the in the toughest competition there is, brings it to America, and he's still going. Like in um, I, and I think he just like I've never felt about a wrestler in the ring like when I'm watching him, like how I feel about like watching Kenny Omega's matches. They're a journey every time. You don't know what's gonna happen. There's no formula. There's like there there's there's moves. There there there's certain you know things he does like in, in each match, but like. Ultimately, you're like, how's he gonna get me this time? And he always does. And you know, I, I and I just think he's the measuring stick. Like, like people like all they have to go through him. And you can say the same thing about Okada. Like they have to go through that. But as Okada's gotten, I would say, into his mid 30s now, like the last couple years, I think it's taken him a little bit to kind of figure this out, like as far as like the pandemic wrestling world and, you know, the challenges that he faced and coming out of that now. 
Um, could this all change? Sure, sure. But like on this day, like for me, Kenny Omega is the GOAT. When it comes to what makes somebody the best and what makes somebody a great wrestler, there's a lot of different criteria. There's a lot of different candidates and we could argue, you know, till, till the cows come home. You know, there's a lot of different things. But one thing about Kenny Omega, and it's not the only thing, but it's the one thing I'll highlight that makes him special to me. He is the best big match wrestler that I've ever seen in my entire life. And prior to that, I would have said Shawn Michaels. I don't think Shawn Michaels is the best wrestler of his generation. There's many people from the 2000s and 2010s that I would say were better than him. But when it comes to the big stage, he's just special, and that's it. He's more special than anybody when it comes to the big stage. That's Kenny Omega. I, I, I get it. There's a lot of other great candidates, and you can list them all, your Kota Ibushis, your Okadas, your Shingos, you know, um, Tanahashi, you know, the list goes on and on. Johnny Gargano. There's there's plenty of names that are out there. But Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay. <laughs> Brian Danielson, AJ Styles. There's tons of them. But Kenny Omega's just special. When it comes to the big stage, he turns up bigger and better than anybody else that, that has ever done this. And that's and one day somebody will but right now there is nobody else it's just him right yeah for Jeremy. me yeah for me kenny he, he's definitely up there in the conversation of greatest wrestler of all time for me yeah he's my goat you know i was a sean guy growing up and yeah i mean like josh said like kenny omega there's a reason why they call the best bout machine is not just a gimmick like that is facts like this guy goes on the big stage and has the best matches, the best performances. And, like, you know, you look at the Bret Hart wrestler scale, like, he's near 10 in every category. Like, this guy is just incredible. And as far as, like, match of the year for me, like, I, I think for now I, I got January 4th as my one, and this match is my two. But, I mean, ask me tomorrow. I could change my mind and, and flip them. But at the end of the day, my ballot whether it's Observer Awards, O&R Awards, Kiss Awards, it's, it's going to have both these matches, one and two. Right. And, and the thing for me with Kenny, um, he is not my cup of tea as far as, like, what my taste is for big matches, like, gen like just in general, right? Like, but there's nobody, there's nobody I've ever watched succeed so many times doing something that I'm like, I'm going to the match and I'm expecting – this to be the particular story and then they go in a different direction and is like it and my mind doesn't go they didn't do what i thought they were going to do or what i wanted to do therefore i'm going to just shit on this match it's like like that first osprey match in, in in the dome i thought i was going to get like something more similar to like the shingo and osprey matches this that was not that was a heated violent ass match i fucking loved it mm. like for them to go with that direction and then still succeed to that high of a level is like Kenny Omega does that. And like, there's not that many wrestlers where it's like, they don't go the route that I want to. And then they're able to still give me something that is still like had me super happily, just completely content with what they did. So, or even over the moon for it. So yeah, like he's great, man. He's an all time great. And it's funny seeing people like, you know, knock the Okada series or knock this stuff. And it's like, and I hear the complaints is like, so you didn't watch these things. 
Exactly. Like, mm. I, like a little like a year ago, I saw someone or someone talked to me about like or saying that they hated like that series of Osprey and Okada because it was just choreography. And I was like, these are matches that are based off of lariats and drop kicks and knee and running jumping knees. What are you talking about? You mean so, o- yeah, o- Okada um, Omega? Someone said this. Yes. Okay. I pulled up on Twitter. Uh, right. yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Um, I said, I said, awesome. <laughs> but, I mean, I meant Okada and Omega. That's like, like, um, yo, this is, I don't know what y'all are talking about. I just don't. And just looking at this this seven year period, um, you know, since I would say, like, I always say for me, like, Kenny Omega took off in 2016 G1. in G1, right? Yeah. And from, from there, like, it's not just the Okada series, it's a series with Naito. It's what he's doing now with Osprey. He has Ishii. this great match with with uh he has five great matches with Tomohiro Ishii. Um he's had this uh series with Moxley that's been that's defying uh the promotion. The thing with Hangman Page, it's like in this short, relatively mm-hmm. short amount of time, because you know, wrestling careers are weird, like he's packing more in like at a legendary level, all-time level, and his cage match page is just absolutely filthy and disgusting any way you want to look at it and that's with people jumping on there rating his shit low sometimes just because fuck him like and look bill's mafia the tag team greatness on top of it yeah i was gonna say twice twice like this guy arguably is in the greatest singles and tag team match like that's ever happened so it's like yeah he's he's him like (laughs) matches Stupid. <laughs> oh, like the wrestlers that, that that have gimmicks calling themselves him. Uh-uh. I, I ain't going for it. <laughs> it's Kenny, man. And I think we, we just we just answered um at Morph Jin's question, why is Kenny the greatest wrestler of all time? Like I think we just There you go. Laid a pretty good case for that. <laughs> all right, let's uh, move on to the the semi-main event here. Darby Allen, Sting, Tetsuya Naito defeating Minoru Suzuki, Chris Jericho, and Sammy Guevara, 15 minutes and nine seconds. This went too long on a show that, as great as the show was, I felt like a lot of these matches, other than the two big matches and maybe the the 10-man tag, they probably could have shaved a lot of time off of a lot of this show, especially this match. Again, we've already kind of litigated the whole aspect of it being the, the, you know, stop gap between the two matches but um a lot of big personalities it was really cool to see all these guys interact with one another but the big problem came when sting was supposed to take a cutter from sammy guevara and there was some sort of miscommunication or mistiming sting and sammy landed on the top of sting's head while sting was bent over it was very scary i i was having flashbacks to Sting wrestling Seth Rollins back in 2015 and was like, oh my God, we're going to see this dude, you know, hurt again. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, From there, the match was very kind of just, it lost its footing, became very sloppy. They tried their best to, you know, pick everything back up. It went too long. The crowd was not into it as much as you think they would have been considering how many big personalities were here. Uh, I did think Naito got the biggest pop of anybody coming out, but they you could tell they were, like, trying to speed it along. They, like, ring the bell while Naito was still taking off his, his gear. Anybody <laughs> <laughs> got time for that bullshit? Look, <laughs> look man, first off, he comes, down, he comes down to the ring in the full thing like he always does. 
And he has the full thing, but then he has the fucking t-shirt on underneath it. I was like, man. <laughs> right. Yeah, he came out in the big match gear, and then he had a fucking t-shirt. wrestled as t-shirt night. <laughs> Gotta sell that merch, pal. Unbelievable. Ultimate trolling. <laughs> like, if, you don't just, if you don't just bring your ass out here with your taped up uh, wobbly ass knees <laughs> and bowed legs with your t-shirt and your hat and your trucker cap in 2023 and walk your ass down here and let's get to it. Look, to be fair, they had time to fill because the cold match got pulled or whatever else. So maybe maybe that's what it was. They're trying to fill some time with that. Whatever. I don't know. But I was like, hey man, you can't give me the the hap the the the, the expensive fashions, the you know, the the the, the silks. <laughs> you can't you can come out here with the silks and then give me t shirt night. So that's bullshit. They did a uh they did a spot towards the tail end of the match where Sting was laid out on a table on the outside oh, and this Chris Jericho was demanding that Sam Guevara lay him out and you know follow his boss's order. So Sam Guevara goes to the top and he goes for a 630. It was supposed to be that Sting moved out of the way, but he didn't move fast enough. So he like got hit by the 630. He took the bump. But then like the layout of the match called for him to be back in the ring like a minute later. So right. He just no sold the shit. Got it right. <laughs> right. We never saw Sammy Guevara again. And we never saw Sammy again. Sammy was laid I didn't think that, that's, that that was Bosch. I thought he just did it and he was basically doing like this thing no sell thing. So I was like, oh, he just no sell to 630. This is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> no, he didn't no yeah, sell. Like, he yeah, just man. Lost. Because like, he didn't like, move the, out of the way. Like, Sammy not getting up was, was the giveaway. It was because it's like, I didn't well, realize why it's like, well, why know. wouldn't you get it up? Like, oh, you weren't supposed to hit this on him. You no, were supposed, no, no. To, you you were supposed you, to eat you shit and disappear. You <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, man. Thank God like that. Hey, man, hit, hit your super move. I'm just going to get up and just continue wrestling. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, I'll move. I'll eat it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't even remember who won this match. Oh, Naito ended up hitting his, uh, his, his little slick plant. Uh, oh, that's uh, right. He, he hit his jackknife. Yeah. 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 Matchbox cover thing. Deep matchbox cover. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, overall, I mean, kind of a fun, chaotic match. Uh, also, a lot of top stars, top personalities. But again, the whole buffer style and then following, you know, Osprey Omega 2. Like, there's a lot working against this match. And like Josh mentioned, the miscommunications, the botches, and. It was just kind of this kind of wild, just kind of messy matchup and kind of overstayed its welcome. Uh, I think people were kind of ready to, you know, get to, the, you know, Brian and Okada. Um, but overall, I mean, it was it was still fun, though. Also, during, like, oh, go ahead. I, I forgot to ask this. What do y'all think, like, Tetsuya Naito and Darby Allen talked about backstage? <laughs> what was the strategy meeting like? No, no, just like, what was it get down? How what was the vibe like in that locker room? With Sting, with, with 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 Clown Sting, Darby, and Tessie and Naito. <laughs> I, I, I'm hoping that, that it wasn't just room. them, but I'm hoping that like Shingo and Bushi and like Hiromu were there too, you know, to just really make it weird. Well, you know, Hiromu's been dying to team with Mr. Sting, and so I'm sure. Right. He yeah, knows. I was kind of disappointed he wasn't. I, I wonder did, did Hiromu get to meet Mr. Sting? I hope so. <laughs> you know, I mean, he wore his AEW pants that he didn't get to wear last year. Did you guys oh, notice that? Yeah, okay. yeah. Maybe he'll during the, do the uh, zipper challenge with Sting. Oh man! Oh my God! During the media scrum, um, I spent that do- kind of stuff from Josh, not you. <laughs> <laughs> they were uh, they were you know doing the the post media scrum and in the middle of their uh, you know celebratory interview, 
uh, Chris Jericho comes out angry and he hits a, a water bottle. <laughs> yes. The water bottle hits one of the media members and busts them fucking open. Bro, shit. Hey, look, if that was me, oh man, I'm blind in one <laughs> eye. Tony Khan, you are cutting the check. <laughs> This dude let him clean him up and then sat back down. Man, if you don't go get you this goddamn money, <laughs> this performer injured me. Oh man, An- another scrum uh, debacle there. But it yeah. looks like oh Tuesday we're getting a tag match and we're gonna get uh, Painmaker Chris Jericho opposite of Sting. And uh, you know, I-, I feel like this is the appropriate time to mention all the. Uh, similarities between these two men uh, we haven't brought it up on the air but uh you know two guys that are both wcw alumni both men that are you know older than you would expect them to be for the type of output they've been putting out in the wrestling world um both men that have an affinity for bats both men that love jesus right-wing trump supporters you know very similar individuals <laughs> Oh man! Uh, last question here before we move on. Really, it's a mirror match. Honestly, it's a mirror match. It's SummerSlam '94. Well, where was Sting's wife on January 6th? Oh my God! Don't do that. <laughs> oh I'm man! Just I love them both. Uh, last question: Seven two five two says, "Is Sting and Darby Allen temporary members of Lij, just like Jay Lethal was?" Yes. <laughs> all these people, all these people that linked up are, are now honorary members. Yes, Tomohiro Ishii is a part of the elite, and, and it'll be written forever on the Dude, wiki. Miss one day member. They should have given Ishii some streamers. Uh, they should have given him a bandana. Like yes. Oh, we didn't tassels. mention everybody in that match. Cut the bro. They eyebrows. all they all shaved their eyebrows. Yeah. I didn't know that until I watched BTE today. These Ishii guys, didn't. they must be stopped. <laughs> Ishii was like. Nah. <laughs> Eddie Kingston in the elite. Exactly. Eyebrows. Does Ishii have eyebrows? I don't think he does. No, everyone but Ishii, obviously. Yeah, but I don't but... think he could. I don't think he physically has them anymore. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, man. But, you know, you know, they match. I, I, I like how they all match Tomohiro Ishii except Kingston. You know. Black and white, yeah. Yeah, you know. All right, guys. Uh, big main event here: the American Dragon Brian Danielson defeats, taps out the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada in 27 minutes and 47 seconds. We heard it. It happened. It's the it final happened. countdown. That was Man. so cool. It, I got to say, it was. I got to give it to Brian. Uh, Danielson, because I tell you this right now, if I show up to the if I show up to the to the job, and like I clock in, I punch in, and like ten minutes into uh, my work day, I think I broke my arm. It's wrap. Mm. I'm clocking out right then, going and head, and head to the ER right then. Fuck this match, I'm gone. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Tony Khan about your about your your billionaire pay per view and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> sorry, this shit this shit got this shit ain't gonna fix itself while I'm doing this shit with this dummy out outside of me. No, not going home, go home. No, so shout out to him. Um, it does explain a lot about the match. I did not really pick up that it was actually a legitimate problem. I thought it was part of selling, um, but you know it's real easy to sell like you're hurt when you're actually really fucking hurt, right? Um, 
but yeah, I thought it was a great match, but obviously it was not the best match on the show. <clears throat> it was not the second best match on the show either. Yeah, and also you brought up it looks like a question from uh, Death Triangle Seven Twenty. Do you think the main event was cut short due to the injury? No, I mean it went twenty seven. Still, they got a lot of time. Yeah, I, I don't lot. know if they had gr- the greatest chemistry in the world. I, you know, he was. I, I didn't realize he was fighting until injury until you know he revealed it in a press conference. He's probably gonna be out six to eight weeks. Um, th- this did feel big time though. Like when those guys made their entrances, it was like, yeah, man. It, there's a there's you know as much as I railed about you know the, the the main event not being Oscar Omega like when these guys are walking out that's how you know if something is worthy to be in that spot and it totally was like it was just like you get this feeling like Okada gets the last entrance on this thing and it's like we're all waiting for him like this, the end of the night is culminated to him and it's like is this motherfucker worthy of all this yes yes nigga he is <laughs> <laughs> you guys hear how so, rich so when do you think uh, Tetsuya Naito will come out last on AEW pay per view. Mm. Never, man. I used to look. James is trying to take me back to the old me. You know, no, 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 no. Because no, you know, Zach Porter is was watching this, so I just had to, you yeah. know. Because yeah. let Zach? me tell you about what this fucker did while he was watching. In the middle of the match, <laughs> he says, "He says, all right, I'm out of here." In the middle of Danielson Okada, this hating ass nigga got up and walked out. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I, I did not know that it was this bad for this man. Um, and he showed up wearing a Kaito shirt too. Oh Here, man, here's how it here's how bad it is for Zach. We've lived through years and years and years of Will Ospreay hate, and suddenly this man's Coming around on Will. It's coming around on Osprey. On this Osprey. Is, the game, but, the game has but, that old, but that Okada hate? Nah, still as strong as ever. Never. No, but he's coming around on Osprey because he's part of the alliance to end Okadaism. That's right. The only That's reason what I'm getting at. <laughs> it's beautiful. He's a sick man with a nasty agenda. <laughs> <laughs> That's a clip. Yeah. <laughs> He's a sick yeah, man. like the clip is gonna be so like, funny. you know, he's a sick man with a nasty agenda. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna cut a promo. Sick man. That one day. Yeah, man. Um, oh, I like the comments. Like, yes, I'm a uh, hater. Like- me? Can you imagine being? Can you imagine being like happy that you're a hater? I, I, I. I uh, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't, bro. I, look, look, isn't it amazing how both companies have like their alliances to stop Kazuki Okada and Kenny Omega? It's like <laughs> this same two niggas run this business. <laughs> Always have. <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Oh yeah. This um uh, yeah, great matchup. I I marked huge for final countdown. You know, I watched a lot of Ring of Honor back in the day and Brian and McGinnis, uh, you know, Brian and Joe, you know, just all the great Brian Nelson matches from that era and watching him come down to final countdown. It's great to see it here. Um kind of the braids. Yeah, had the braids set the tone for the night. And Okada, huge entrance, Rainmaker Bucks, like huge pop. But ultimately, I think there's they can have a better there's a better match in them. Also, like we mentioned, Brian got hurt, broke his arm in the middle of the match. But for a broken arm, um, and for a a crowd that just saw Omega Osprey too, I still thought they did a heck of a job. I went four and a half on it. Uh, I definitely think there's going to be setting up for a rematch. I think we're going to see this potentially at Tokyo Dome. Which Josh alluded to earlier that that means Okada's probably not winning G one. 
Um, so there's a lot of great story elements that can do uh, with Brian Lennon here. I'm not going to sit here and say that I thought that Brian Danielson actually had a broken arm. I didn't think that. But what I did notice was he started selling the arm, and I was like, I don't remember Okada ever working the arm. And I, you know what I thought? I was pretty tired at this point. I kind of thought that maybe I just missed the arm work that was probably realistically non-existent. And instead of instead of it being a story element, he just was hurt, and I didn't realize it. And I was like, "Damn, he's really selling that arm! Like this is Macho Man esque. Like he's doing a great job selling the arm. It's like, oh, it's broken." <laughs> Do you <laughs> remember the Adam Cole versus Jake Atlas match where Jake Atlas t- uh, blew out his knee? Yeah, and then like Adam Cole after he blows out his knee, he he basically just puts he, like Atlas can't do nothing. So like. Cole just immediately like puts on a a nothing literally a nothing hold on him on the on, on the injured leg and then I like, got to tap out like that's kind of what Okada did is like I ain't do none he just hurt so he we just gonna we just gonna work that in <laughs> um, yeah uh, one thing that needs to be addressed and uh, I felt like the match was really good it was going great. The crowd was really into it. They had a lot of momentum. They're getting a lot of reactions. And then they go to the outside and Okada hits a very safe, I mean, extremely safe. Like you could tell when he dropped the uh, tombstone on on Danielson that his head was nowhere near being close to like hitting the ground. Yeah. Hits him with that. Then um, he rolls Danielson's body into the ring to stop the count. And while that happens, I'm watching with my, my girlfriend's brother and he's like, is he kind of like convulsing? And I thought it was, it was just his take on like the modernized Hulk Hogan cell, like the, the flopping. <laughs> it, it, it was he, it, that's what I thought it was. And I actually pointed out, I was like, he's doing the Hogan cell when he was on the right. apron. And then once he got in, he started actually doing a seizure. And I was like, all right, man. Yeah. He I, started this, seizing. Yep. And when he seized, not only did I not like it, but the audience live just died. They got deathly quiet. And it, I don't even know if it was a fear as much as it was like, all right, here we go again, because this isn't the first time that they've really played around with concussions and fake injuries like that. They did it in the uh, Danielson versus Garcia. Yeah. And they bring the, the, the doctor in and, you know, Danielson's doing a pretty convincing, uh, you know, seizure, but I don't know that I want to see anyone going through a seizure in the middle of a major main event like this. I don't. Yeah, I I don't. Especially when it's a guy who has a this. History. yeah, he has a history of that, and it kind of just brings back bad memories. And I was like, eh, it's a little bit in bad taste. And I'm not usually one to you know litigate what people do in a match like that. But I was like, ugh, I don't know if I like right. that. Then all of a sudden, like Okada looks like the biggest douchebag in the world because he's like, get out of the fuck. way, doctors. <laughs> <laughs> fuck, fuck his seizure. I'm gonna, I'm gonna rainmaker his ass. Don't and you then- see I'm in my? Don't you see I'm in my like Anoki tribute gear? Either look, either stop the match or let me beat his fucking brains in. <laughs> but but after that spot, they I, I never. Just, got I just the didn't crowd buy it. Same. I didn't buy. It. I didn't buy it for a second. I Pull was just watching it, just like, all right, yeah. get up. Like, Again, I, that's like, kind of that that westernism is like we didn't need that. We didn't need this whole you know mid match angle. Like just wrestle. Right. Yeah, that was, that right. was some FTR bold. I'm I'm so, I'm really injured and I'm gonna sell the injury shit, you know. We we didn't mention this earlier, but um during the Osprey 
and Okada match when they're in the middle of the match, and obviously Osprey's been going in on Canada doing this whole thing. Yeah, we didn't um, mention any of that. Oh yeah, his, talked, his about Cal, talked about Callus being an asshole. Talked about Jericho being an asshole. Talked about how Omega's an asshole. Um, talked about how Christian's a dick as well. Uh, comes to Canada, grabs the Canadian flag, uh, does that whole you know uh, Survivor Series '97 thing that Shawn Michaels did. Um, then slaps on a sharpshooter, a sharpshooter that was as poor as a sharpshooter you'll see this side of the rock. Um, look, Kenny Omega was holding on for dear life to keep that leg uh, up because it wasn't attached. Um, he he crossed the legs correctly, at least. Rock never did that, yeah. But the end result, we're looking where it ended up, ended up the same exact (laughs) out of place, funky position. So, Omega, Omega's fighting towards the ropes. I don't know if he made the ropes or not, but then he transitions to a cross face. It's like you purposely did, you purposely purposely chose to be self referential with Chris Benoit. And then, like, someone told me that, like, I don't know if this is on purpose, but like. It was the anniversary of him murdering his his son in in wife and killing himself, that. and I was like, Bro, "Oh, that's nasty! That. You shouldn't have done yeah. this." And I even think about that anniversary part. I was like, in the middle of the match, while I'm doing all this Canada stuff, all this anti-Canada stuff, you then bring up the one of the most famous Canadian wrestlers that had ended up being a fucking you know disaster of a human being. I was like, "Oh, you should have done this." Um, and then the crowd chanting, uh, uh, some of the crowd chanted, "You sick fuck!" While it was happening too, and I was like. Honestly, how are you supposed to respond to it if you're in a crowd? Mm-hmm. How are you supposed to? Well, yeah. I didn't know about that, but going back to this match, I noticed that the crowd, as as great as some of the closing sequences were, they just never fully ever got the crowd back after the seizure spot. It just never didn't didn't the finish. Nobody saw it coming. Like yeah. not not the finish, not the result, not like the. The flow of the match, did we think it was a, a finish or anything? It was like it was one of those oh. shocking deals because like you weren't expecting Okada to tap out. Right. And it well, wasn't Daniel, one of, it wasn't Daniel Brian's said, signature either. It wasn't LaBelle La Lockwell and Cat Mutilation. Prior right. to that, Danielson got hit with a clean rainmaker and kicked out, and the crowd barely responded to it. And I thought it was game over because everyone just loses to that move now. It's it's much more protected than it was, you know, six years ago. Years ago. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the crowd didn't react to him kicking out, which I was a little surprised by. And then, yeah, and then they went into that, uh, you know, the submission sequence. And, like, legitimately, there were issues throughout the match where because Danielson had a broken arm, he couldn't actually do the label lock the way he normally does. So then they had to pull an audible, and he had to do, like, a, a Zack Sabre variation and, and hook the arm with his legs and do – a crazy funky submission, but yeah, it was never, like the Julia Bianco deal. I never, for any moment, Bianco, B- uh, Bianca. Sorry, Bianca's sure shit. Sorry, I didn't think Okada was tapping. For one, he was very close to the ropes. Number two, it wasn't getting the reaction from the audience that we were about to see a near finish. Like the crowd was yeah. absolutely thinking that he was going to get to the ropes and we we're going to go into the famous hot clothes that these guys are both known for, especially Okada. And instead he tapped. What it reminded me of, it reminded me of when Triple H was right by the ropes and tapped out to John Cena in Chicago at WrestleMania 22, where everyone's like, huh? Did that just happen? Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Like, he like, got him. I was like, like originally it ran through my mind. I've never seen Okada tap out to anybody. And then like Twitter seconds later, it was like, oh yeah, Shinsuke Nakamura got him in 2015. That was like, okay, I remember that. But other than that, Right. Oh, That's the last yeah. time. Eight top, years ago. Top people do not tap 
typically like no matter what promotion it is like right. think about how many times you've seen Roman Reigns submit John Cena submit I don't think I've ever um, seen Roman Reigns submit Hogan uh submitted to yeah. Kurt Angle I believe like once or some shit like that it's always always like stoppages or some shit right yeah I, I what I will say is um you mentioned the the Nakamura Okada match like for me like the last match I thought was like I got surprised, like I was really shocked by somebody tapping out and I wasn't expecting it. Was like that like in a big way was like that that summer 2015 thing with Brock and Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Where like he yeah. tapped and was like, wait, what? Huh? And like, don't get me wrong, like what he what he slapped on was nasty looking, and like it just it but it you just didn't expect it to happen. Yeah, and again, and it happened. Like, oh shit! He well, I mean, yeah. it is. Na- it looks nasty as fuck. So yeah, okay. We're having bringing up seeing Moxley tap out uh, was nuts too. Yeah, that's right. To uh, but he was getting hung. So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I think to Josh's yeah. point, like the positioning was just kind of bad because like Okada was like, I thought Okada was going to stretch his foot out. Like his foot was like right by the rope. Yeah, that's true. H- had it been more in the center of the ring, I think it would have been. Um, uh, people would have bought it a little bit better. Right. But also, it, you know, it, that's like that point where like Daniels can't drag him back to the middle either. His arms so fucked up. It yeah. wasn't a question of the validity of the maneuver. It was the it was the way that they worked the actual sequence. We've uh-huh. been conditioned to view a submission like that to be worked in a particular way, especially if it's going to be like match ending. And he was so mm-hmm. close to the ropes, it just it felt very anticlimactic. The crowd, the audience live didn't react that well and i'll tell you guys and i'll say this unashamedly i'm not always a new japan fanboy i know that we are you know me and jeremy we do a new japan podcast but i didn't really personally enjoy watching okada get tapped out by brian danielson mainly because i love brian danielson one of my favorite wrestlers of all time but he's not a guy that has been presented consistently on aw television as a tip-top guy He's someone that I thought was Teflon that could easily take the loss and should have taken the loss and probably given that one make good win to, you know, New Japan's top guy. I get it. I understand they're going to do more business down the road. So I guess it's okay. Huh? What you mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So did Naito. But it it sort of felt like they got fucked a little bit here where I'm like, eh, this doesn't feel good. This doesn't feel like a happy way to, to end the show. Maybe I'm in a different camp than other folks, but it felt like the happy ending would have been Okada picking up the big generational win over an aged Brian Danielson, and and we all go home. You know, and Danielson's a heel. Well, like, right. so it's Danielson's like, the heel. Like, yeah. No, but, but here's the thing: the second I, the second that that, that the tap happened, I, I looked over to Jeremy. I was like, Tokyo Dome. That's the first thing I thought. Like I'm sure there's no way he beat him and he's not gonna give it back. Daniel Simmons out here losing to Daniel right. Garcia every chance he gets. Yeah. You, you, you know what else it reminded me of in a way, and this is a little different, but remember that deflating feeling when Okada rolled up Jericho at Dominion and it was like, oh, that's it? Yeah. That's the finish. Mm-hmm. The, this, this match reminded me of that. that. No, no, no. It was better. This match was better. This is way better okay. than that. Yeah. The match was better, but the finish reminded me of that where I'm like, that's the finish. That's really what uh, we're doing? I don't know. I don't know, guys. I didn't yeah. love that finish. Yeah, I, I didn't love this. Like, I thought it was a good match, but it was like there was too much where it was like it's just not getting to where we it needed to it, go. 
Yeah. But, you know, when a guy breaks his arm, you know, there's only so much you can do. Like, so, yeah. like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I didn't realize that, you know, had I not I, watched I the press conference and stayed either. away from the news, I, I didn't realize that in real time at all. So, trying to temper my analysis here. So, yeah, but yeah, overall, great matchup. Um, I'm kind of like you, Josh. I mean, also being, you know, the New Japan guy. And I think also to just the, the run that Okada's on has been on this year. It's kind of, you know, Jumbo Cerrito run where he's just kind of destroying people and more aggressive, destroying the young guys. Like, it, it felt like, you know, he should have won this match. We said that last mm-hmm. week on, on keeping a strong style. Um, but again, I kinda, once Osprey kind of won, I was like, mm, I think yeah, that increases Brian's chances of winning here. And that's what they did, but... Again, like we said, there's going to be a rematch, whether that's Wembley or Tokyo Dome, wherever they're going to do it. Uh, I think they'll do another match, and you know, hopefully Brian doesn't break his arm, and, and it will be you know better than this one. Got to say, I would love for that to be at Wembley. Like, I can't, too, I can't wait. I'll be there. I can't wait to hear the. I can't <laughs> wait here to wait. Or I can't wait to hear the people complain about like, hey man, like they're putting they're putting Okada. They're giving a, a huge marquee match at Wembley. What about Ricky Starks? Who gives a fuck about Ricky Starks at a time like this? <laughs> what about Jay White? Who <laughs> completely left off Forbidden Door? <laughs> well, he's not allowed to work for New Japan. That's oh why. yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he lost right. to Eddie Kingston. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah look, James, it sure, James, sound, James look, it sure seemed like he uh, like he thought he was going to be able to work work that, given that he you know took credit for that building's gate as well. Mm. He did that like two um, weeks ago. Uh, James makes a great point. You know whether. You like the wrestlers or not? I guess you can't you you can't say these these wrestlers fans are passionate about them. Um, but you know, different masters need to be served here. Yeah, uh, we got to. Oh, I also also apparently uh, John from Makase tweeted this out and it gave me a chuckle that like some of the domestic fans uh, in Japan like watched the match and were like shocked that Okada tapped. It was like, wait, he got tapped by a junior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious oh it is like you pjp this, might have okada's what what's the what's the one twitter account that's saying what all the japanese consensus is what i don't know pure pure power yeah pure power he's like all japanese fans are saying this and i'm like how do you know that he, i think he's don't know i don't that. know what he said i, I look, you don't know that what they said uh but you know dark, dark pure resolution um, setting trends out here it's the same shit nasty, it's like no uh, it's the same shit so what what i will say is this like you mentioned that the jumbo saruta run or whatever else uh that okada seems to be on like look don't get me wrong like the man from the comeback uh this summer to that G1 and wrestle all them young punks and beat their ass. Don't don't get it twisted. It's still happening. We're, but he's like, not in that block. He's not. Oh in yeah, that right. block. He, oh, he faces the, whoever who we think wins that, and we'll probably you know we think it'd be kid uh me up. But like, look, somebody's gonna get that you know that Masawa win. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But somebody's gonna be set up out of you know that eventually out of a group of new newer guys returning from excursion and everything over the last year or two, and like they're gonna be put to the test. And, Let's um, go Suji. <laughs> yeah, I really like Suji, man. I really like Suji. <laughs> I like Suji. But yeah. like, I remember, you know, I like, I like, I like Umino in, I like all of them in in Narita, But like Suji in that match against against Sonata is like, I think we got ourselves one. Any, you know, I think we got ourselves one. So um, he looks great, 
and we got you know we, he's out there we got some you know, questions Jeremy. wrestling to the appropriate uh level of the match he's put in so yeah i'm i i we'll see and like you know suji show pulled up to uh kiyomiya at the night at the uh noah thing because they're in the same block i'm i'm really interested in the a block really am yeah i, yeah. I can't wait to watch it all in like three days it's <laughs> like oh uh Going through these questions real quick. I'm going to try and skip over the ones we've kind of already answered uh, as we talked about the match. Uh, I'm going to jump to Oscar Rooney. He says, were there too many matches to the point that they tired the audience? They were paying attention at the end, but or, or that there was very little noise. We were supposed um, to get another match. There was match. supposed to be more. So there was supposed I, to be I, more matches. I don't think it was match length. I think it was the end of a long weekend uh, in Toronto, Brought it Saturday night at Collision, and then back to back, and then by the time you're at the end, you know it adds up. But there was a lot of greatness they had to sit through, and you know a crowd only has so much in their tank. I don't think this was necessarily, hey, there's too many matches. So like, I think it was, hey, we saw too much fire shit. I, I do. I think when you have a five hour show, I think that again the match structure for the layout does matter, and. I don't know. This probably could have been just as good of a show if they just gone four hours instead of five. Personally, that's my opinion. I don't well, really. The, think the main was... card went four. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, and then I think a four-hour pay-per-view with a one-hour pre-show is too long in most cases, unless you're going to structure it like a Wrestle Kingdom, which they didn't. Mm-hmm. It's too long, and I feel that way almost every time I watch an AEW pay-per-view at this point. Or if you do like Japanese shows that had brief intermissions in between. But that's one thing we do forget about when we talk about like yeah. the way they level up these shows or they stack these shows to crescendo at the end of uh these cars in Japan is that like there are intermissions in between this stuff. Um yeah. I don't I you know, I don't know if people have pages for that on the American side, but if it does give people time to, you know, take a breather, you know, on you know, kinda reset or whatever else mentally. Then I think that could be helpful, but I don't know people. You know, I don't know if that's a something that like the American side will be able to would be just be able to adopt in that way. But um, I will say, as far as the the problem of um, feeling like the crowd was too tired, I don't necessarily feel like that is exactly the case in this particular situation because like the crowd did come back around at the back half of the Okada and Danielson match, and like that's the purpose of having some of these matches that like some of those great matches that have to go back to back to back in new Japan or, or stardom, whatever else that like the matches go so long that like the reset mo- part is like the first half of these, some of these matches are the first third. Um, so, you know, really, I feel like we're really more talking about like the come down from coming from one of the best matches ever to the six man clusterfuck of, of, you know, sting and may have, may have, you know, gotten doomed or, or got, you know, destroyed at some point and it was foggy. So, you know, it, it, I don't know. I don't, I, I really don't feel like the last hour of this show suffered greatly because one of the matches was great and the other one was just, eh, unfortunate placement. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like they're, they could have shaved some time off, maybe off of some matches or, or maybe it was just a structure, but there's, there could have been something done to kind of help it out. But, and also, too, we talked about the whole seizure thing, too. I think that kind of killed the crowd a little bit, too. So there's a lot of different kind of, Various factors, I think, that kind of really hurt that last hour. But I think there could have been some stuff they could have done to rearrange it. I will say this. I much prefer, like, uh, this this uh, five hours of of um, 
of Forbidden Door to like five hours for WrestleMania 35. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Uh, Miss J do- Doom on Twitter says, do you think it, you think this loss will make Okada even more aggressive throughout the upcoming G1? Yes. I mean, I think that that's a possibility. I also think that because he tapped out and his arms were attacked, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some stories where people are focusing on that weakness as well. Yeah. But I think he's definitely going to have a chip, a chip on his shoulder going into G1. And I, obviously, I think he's going to be one of the top two finishes of, of his block. I hope so. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, 890 says, what promotion got Sun more, Noah or NJPW? <laughs> that a real question? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Their top young guy is wrestling in their in New Japan's round robin tournament and not wrestling in theirs. Yeah, I think he's trying to compare it to like when New Japan does a crossover with Noah. Like New Japan comes out strong and now yeah. this, this crossover. Yeah, Noah gets it way worse. Yeah. yeah. Like like who the fuck like who the fuck is coming over from New Japan side as a top star that's going to come back and do a job for, for Noah? Oh, no one? Okay. What do you think Dennis <laughs> is doing it on January 4th? And what, what do you what, think Kenny just did? Right. He also asked, do you think the, the rub of submitting Okada deserved to go to an NJPW guy instead of someone who's already seen as one of the best ever? Ask Okada. He, <laughs> he wouldn't have done the job if, for him if he didn't want to. Right. Like, what Like what under 30 guy in, a, in uh, New Japan has a submission that you'd be like, all right, he can slap this on and, like, I, I'm going to make this submission forever because I've tapped out to it. Is there anybody Shit, maybe maybe Okada just shouldn't have gave up. <laughs> yeah. Have you thought about that? Yeah. Man, weak. <laughs> you know? Man, Man, America thought it was sweet. Thought nobody was watching. You know, they always said, "Oh, he, Okada was like Hulk Hogan." Did he come over here to Canada and, and, and assume his home country would never see it? <laughs> uh, Reddit user Solid Dude says, "Do you think AEW casuals are more interested in Okada, Naito, and Tana after Forbidden Door two or less?" Hard to I say it, because it's I, I have a hard time imagining it. Like you're into all elite wrestling from like day one, and you weren't already aware of these guys, especially given like the kind of reactions they've gotten these last two. Every time they show up, honestly, yeah. so. It's hard. It's hard to imagine. It's hard to come up or figure that out because, like, if you were a day one or a first year person, you already knew who these guys were. I don't expect every fan to be be converted and then be like, yeah, I own a New Japan World subscription now. But I think whenever these guys show up, their reactions are only going to get better and stronger, especially like like Okada, Will Ospreay, um, Tomohiro Ishii, you know, he's been in for Dynamite, it's been for six man's big match with Jericho, this here, he's like made forever, one would think. Um, and even like Sonata, like you, I think you got to keep bringing him back. Like in, you know, in as young as he is, he is going to be part of, you know, the this series going forward. And this series is going to continue. Eventually it's going to happen in Japan. Like they're, you know, they got that Russell Dream thing, tra- trademark, whatever that is. So like, um, you know, I think it's just a long-term investment, you know, and these guys will, uh, it's not going to be immediate. Like people are not going to see like a 15% spike, you know, for, from the audience. But like, even if it's just once a year, somebody's a little bit more over, I think that's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, like 
Rich said, not everybody that watched this is going to be converted. And like James said, I'm sure a lot of fans are already aware of the product. Um, I've seen some people say like, well, you know, New Japan was, you know, diminished in the booking in X, Y, Z number of ways. And maybe there is some validity to some of that. But at the same time, it does a world of good for them on the Western side of business for them to be presented on an equal footing with the number two company in North America. And then to give them this kind of exposure, I made a joke about exposure, but that is very important. And there will be some number of fans that are exposed to these talents and these wrestlers and gain some sort of level of, uh, you know, just curiosity about the product and want to find out how they can watch more of it. And they will tune in and it works both ways. And that's the, the beautiful thing about a partnership like this is that that synergy does create and expand fandom for lots of different people across the board. Um, so I think ultimately it's a good thing. I don't see how that could possibly be a negative thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think the Japanese fans too are like getting a chance. You know, I can't speak for them or anything, but I imagine like, you know, the the Jeremy Rich, James, and Josh of Japan, you know, that we don't know or whatever in a <laughs> parallel universe or whatever, like, or you know, watching you know the AEW stuff, and it's like, you know, like this is this is something you know they're going on their podcast and they're they're breaking it all down and and analyzing those guys and they want to see the AEW guys probably c- come over, you know, so. Uh, you know, imagine, you know, yeah, I, I, do, universe. I, I, I just did imagine like the, the Jeremy, Josh, Rich and James of Japan. And I was like, I, uh, that. Wow. <laughs> just wow. I do think there should be a Japanese equivalent to this show down the road. Absolutely. Yeah, just throwing definitely. that out there. Yeah, I think it's definitely a big win for AEW to to get or for New Japan to get to use some of the AEW guys as well. Um, you know, next week we got Eddie Kingston challenging for a strong title. Moxley has two death matches, one against Desperado and him and Homicide against uh, Despy and Jun Kasai. So we're getting it both ways where these guys are being featured on, on both of their big shows. And so, like you guys said, I don't think we're going to see a huge you know uptick in maybe Okada Naito Otana, but just kind of creating more synergy and. Seeing both guys, um, you know, show up on each other's shows is pretty cool. Um, which got Brew, Brew Haven in the comments said, Damn, would that universe's version of Nihon James be America James? <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, uh, Nihon James is, is a very big, um, you know, proponent of all the women's divisions in America, <laughs> you know, <laughs> big Lacey Evans fan. He tunes yeah. into the OCC Roadhouse Shine shows out yes. of Largo. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I would say you. Can, I would say that's not true. But it's like, bro, I, I've watched some of the most disgusting uh, clarity <laughs> and resolutions for 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 some of these wrestling shows in history. Like, I'm talking about some 144p to watch some of this shit. So I can't even, <laughs> I can't even say no. That's too. That's too bad. Nah, nah. The- this is how you if pronounce James. If there is a Japanese James, if there is a Jimisu, then yeah, like that would, yeah, that's what they'd be doing. Yeah. <laughs> that's how you pronounce it, like this. <laughs> American Jimisu. God damn it. A follow up question from Solid says Will Tony continue the partnership if Moses' audience doesn't see 
anyone outside of Osprey is a top act. Yes. Who who uh, don't they see as a top act? Yeah, well, I think people. I think they even see Tanahashi as a top act still. They do, yeah. Because so, like, the they I, they see a lot of the stars that are not top acts as top acts because of how Ishii. they've been presented. Ishi Suzuki. What are yep. we talking about? Yeah, and plus, you know, the, the young guys are coming. Like we're, yep. we're we're already seeing Shooter on these cards. He's gonna get pushed up more and be a featured star. Once they see Suji doing the flips, he's got he's got, got the tassels. Put Suji with the bucks. Like, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> I, I don't want to say anything. I, I don't know if that uh, listener is listening right now or what their intention was with the. I don't want to presume anything, but what it sounds like to me, and I'm just kind of guessing, it sounds like an insecurity about New Japan taking the loss and some of this stuff, and then, like I said, getting diminished. And I don't see it that way at all. Like. They even though like yeah we we took some L's like Tanahashi's still a big star Naito's still a big star Hiromu's still a big star you know Ishii Okada like these are all big names that do business here in the states and they did business on this card and like they're still going to be viable draws a year from now when they do another one of these mm-hmm. yeah sure one 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 quick thing did you say we like like it's a like it's like you're on the roster. Well, obviously, I typically shy away from saying that, but I'm like, uh, you know, empathizing with him and empathizing with New Japan in this specific moment. I don't typically well, use that language normally. Okay. <laughs> um, Stale Burger Bun says, after Okada and Tanahashi's embarrassing defeats, is Sonata the true ace of NJPW now? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. This company will die. Don't doesn't the, the title symbolize that you're at the top of the profession or the, the promotion? It should. We'll see him. We'll see him punk at the top of the promotion when he was champion in WWE all those months. <laughs> <laughs> see, that's the difference. We're talking about pro wrestling. You're talking about sports entertainment. Mm. <laughs> Man, uh, Sonata. Hope he figures it out. Our buddy Swagger Mike says. You see about man? It's like closer to forty than thirty. <laughs> <laughs> Our boy Swagamai says, overall thoughts on the AWNJPW partnership? Are th- are there things you think they, c- they can prove? Yeah, um, yeah. I think that they could cycle one or two people that they have specific things for in storyline um, like throughout the year, right? And take them off of a particular tour for like a month or something like that. Not necessarily the big guys like Naito and Hiromu and and Okada got to stay there, but you know someone like Shota comes in and you know does some BCC stuff here and there, you know that sort of thing. Ishii, because obviously Ishii's already someone that like after we get past the G1, like there's somebody that, like the crap he shows up, he always gets over every time the bell rings in AEW every single time, and uh, the crowd obviously loves him and and treats him better than he probably does domestically. So like. Something, somebody like that. Suzuki is another answer like that too, as well. Um, yeah, I, I feel like there's there they could integrate those people a little bit more, but you know, it, it it's a hard undertaking because they already got too many damn wrestlers in AEW to begin with themselves with their four hours of television or five yeah. hours of television. 
I, I think it's just making sure you're mixing more acts in with this like crossover stuff. Like, you know, like your like all your black wrestlers, you know, like like the acclaimed, I feel like should have been on this card. Um yeah. I feel like Swerve should have should have been able to, to get on this show. I feel like um, you know, you're about to heat up Powerhouse Hobbs inside of this uh Owen Hart tournament, you know could you have found something for him in a, in a you know multi-man match something like that and give these guys a chance to kind of prove that they can do you know they, they can get in there with the japanese guys too well well it's funny that you mentioned the black wrestlers but like you know it, it, it they ain't nothing we could do about the mexican wrestling because they all blacked out politically yeah uh, yeah um oh, so but what i will say is you mentioned that the acclaim will come out like no look we can't have the acclaim on the live mat Matt or so on the live mic, like coming out to the ring, dissing on people. Like, what what happens? What you what do you think he's gonna say when he when he faces like Shibata and Orange Cassidy? Chappin, chappin. You're gonna talk about chapping, chapping. No, we can't. We can't, <laughs> this. can't be doing this. Um, you know, uh, I think that there's probably better communication from both sides that needs to be taking place. I don't want to say it's 100 AEW's fault, but like the Kenny Omega title reign fucking sucked. Uh, maybe they shouldn't have ever put the title on him to be hijacked for six months. That I mean, yeah, this payoff was great, but six months is six months. It fucking sucked. Stuff like that's not great. Uh, the stuff where New Japan is always promoting anything related to themselves and AEW constantly in almost every imaginable way, and AEW doesn't do any of that on any level, not even in social media, that fucking sucks. And then, you know, it does feel like AEW, you know, to some degree with the power dynamic throws their weight around and kind of gets their way in the booking. Uh, now, granted, they are gracious in some aspects, but, you know, sometimes it feels a little imbalanced. Those are probably my biggest complaints about it. Yeah, I kind of echo some of those sentiments. Um, I don't like you guys are saying, I think definitely more conscious i think just we yeah, have more cross promotion having these guys i think we're seeing that with the, the, B, the bcc and elite stuff having these guys kind of cross over more and kind of build some more inner promotional stories up that you can blow off at, at a show like this um i think if you're gonna let a guy win a title and, and go over to japan like let him do a little run there i'll see i know kenny is obviously a, a big aw star and from the aw side i get it why they're not letting Kenny go to, you know, over there to, to defend the title so often. Um, but maybe have somebody, you know, throw some of the young guys over there and have you know, have them do a run in New Japan while they're not doing anything on Dynamite. And the borders, you know, the, the travel is a little bit easier now. So, like, it's easier to get guys back and forth. Obviously, we're seeing Moxley go back and forth more now. Eddie Kingston's going to be in the G1. So, I think as they continue to work together, I think we will start to see some of these Perhaps get a little bit better and a little bit more synergy as time goes on. All right, well, that, that's it for the questions, guys. We, we did it. We reviewed Forbidden Door, one of the best shows of the year, uh, featuring uh, another Omega uh, Osprey match of the year contender. It's great stuff, guys. Oh, 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 real quick, Rich. So um, you saw both shows, so I wanted to ask you. Um, Best show of the year so far to date. Um, man, um, I feel like I'm gonna forget something, so I am kind of getting put on the spot here. I feel like Revolution for me is still up there. 
Um, I, I think that one is, uh, you know, just top to bottom, just just an embarrassment of riches of four star plus matches. Uh, and then that one stardom show is is pretty up there as well. Um, I, I, was that at one in March? Uh, April 23rd. You have comment okay, April 23rd. Um, between both of those, uh, I, and then this, I think is going to get a lot of love. WrestleMania night one, I, a great fucking show. Um, in Wrestle Kingdom night one, I believe, or there was just one Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Um, I, I, the, I think that's like what we're talking about, like right here. Okay. Uh, as far as the best, uh, I think I'm still going to go Revolution. Okay. All right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap up our crossover episode here. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe to all of our feeds, the Social Suplex Podcast Network feed, the One Nation Radio feed, keeping a strong style feed. Subscribe to the Social Suplex YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe to the One Nation Radio Twitch channel. Doing this, this live stream here. So, you know, give the love on Twitch. Make sure you hit up the donation, socialsuplex.com slash donate and then follow us all on twitter it's your merch uh, but yeah it was i'm happy to talk to the the keeping strong style audience it's been a long time uh and this this is your preview if you like this show at the end of the year the foa's draft will be 10 times wilder than this we will all have drinks in hand and we will be all shooting on the business and you might hear a little bit more of Rich and James when I'm in uh, in London. I might, those guys will kind of fill in for me with you know G1 coverage. So, oh yeah, we got to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds good, man. See you guys. Peace. Later. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.